So how you doing? I'm great, man. What are you What are you doing down here in Florida? Uh, I've been in Florida for a week. Uh, first few days, there's this convention every year put on by Brian Barchek called Animal Con. Mm -hmm. And it's like all of the biggest animal people basically get together and do do meetings and conventions. And a couple days are open to the public, a couple days are industry only. So I did that. And then I just launched a YouTube channel, as pre preposterous as that sounds. And so we spent the last week filming for YouTube, doing just oh, really? fun Florida. Dude, Florida is like... It's a playground for, for animal people, you know? So there's just so much stuff to do here. So that's what we spent the week doing, just running around doing fun stuff. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, yeah I just, Manny, Manny was in here about a month ago telling us all kinds of his recent crazy escapades. Have you ever done any fossil stuff in Florida? I personally have never done any fossil stuff, but I know people who have. What Boom, the fuck is those this, are for you. Dude? Those what? are from yesterday. What so yesterday these? on the South Florida River, we dove. There was a flood warnings in place, okay? So there's rushing water. Whoa. And uh, we're like, oh, should we do this? Scuba dove, 12 feet deep, not deep, black water. So you got two inches of visibility. Braille diving on the bottom, feeling for fossils. You can't see anything. Nothing. We found 24 species yesterday. We gave most of it to a museum. But that is a fossilized prehistoric horse tooth. So that's a tooth from an ancient horse. And, uh, what? yeah, that's a couple million years old. How do you know? Uh, so I don't, I'm very novice at this. Yesterday okay. was my first day doing it, but the guys I went out with are experts. They have a, they run a thing called dig, dive, discover. Okay. And that is the biggest, albeit not perfect, but the biggest megalodon tooth I found. So I wanted to give it to you. Dude, that thing is <laughs> It's pretty dope. It's not perfect. I'm a novice. I'm sure one day I'll get a good one. So but how, how old do you think? Like six million years. Six million years yeah. old, bro. Isn't that cool? That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not positive on the dating. Like I that's said, I'm really so novice. Cool. Your your listeners will probably like be like, that's not six, it's six point two. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, it's something like that. And I was I was pretty stoked because it's like I've done a lot of stuff in the animal space, especially in the extinct animal space, but looking for actual fossils from some of these animals that I've studied for a long time was a pretty cool experience. That's amazing. How are you a big uh, like free diver spear fisherman? I used to be really big. I mean, I, I still do a lot of it, but I used to be really big in the competitive circuits in oh, really? free dive spear fishing. Yeah, had a bunch of world records, bunch of pole spear records. Really? Yeah, um, not competitive. Like I didn't go to competitions uh -huh. and stuff like that. I just used to chase these trophies and go all over the world spear fishing and free diving. And uh, I still do it a lot. I mean, I shot a beautiful white sea bass like a week ago before I came out here in California. Is that on your Instagram? I think so. I think yeah. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice fish. And, uh, you know, I still do it a lot, but now I just do it for food. I just, I love getting out there. It's a good escape from the family, dive in the ocean, find a nice fish to feed us for a couple of weeks. It's it's still great. Yeah. I grew up spearfishing and free diving around here. Yeah. But I knew that. like doing that in California always scared the shit out of me. I imagine that would be so goddamn spooky. Well, it's different, right? So we have kelp forests out there. Right. And the kelp forests are, it's like taking a hike in a redwood forest or in a cypress swamp, like big vertical structure all around you at all times, navigating your way through an underwater jungle, basically. Um, and super fun, man. I mean, the, the colors in California, it's all these golds and greens and big white sea bass. And then hopefully you don't run into the big tax man, the great white shark. Um, and they're always kind of lurking on the outside. So, yeah, it can, it can be a little spine tingling at times. <laughs> well, the great whites, I imagine, would be you'd rather see a great white spearfishing than a fucking bull shark. Well, we don't get bulls in California. So right. I've seen well, I've run here. into them here. Yeah. yeah, I've run into them here, um, like doing diving off the Jupiter ledge and stuff. Have you ever done that dive? No. So no. down in only, Jupiter. Only mainly in the Gulf for me. Yeah, that makes sense. 
down in Jupiter, Florida, uh, we filmed a show down there a few years ago called Face the Beast for the History Channel. And we had these crazy kids. Good buddy of mine, he passed away. Mike Dornellis was there with us. He had all these bull sharks, like, super revved up, shaking this bait crate. These bull sharks are, like, coming in. They're swooping in between you and the crate. You're pushing them off. He's, like, blasé. He's just like, yeah, this is what you do, is he's, like, pushing bull sharks left and right. And uh, not not me, dude. I, I, I've been oh, around bull sharks, man. but not like that. And uh, they're crazy. They're uh they're just like, it's like a bulldog versus a Great Dane, you know? Run into a white shark, it's big, it's more powerful, an individual can probably do more damage, but then you're with bull sharks like a pack of bulldogs, you know? You're just like, or pack of, pack of Rottweilers, you're like, oh, these things can tear me to shreds. They're way more aggressive. Way I have more. Way more testosterone than the, the great white sharks. The highest testosterone of any shark in the world is those bull sharks. Yeah, they're, they're scary. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manny was saying that he's more afraid of like lemon sharks than any other shark. Well, him, Chris Gillette, my buddy Mike Dornellis, myself, uh, I can list about 10 more people. We've all been bitten by, we all talk about the big scaries. We've all been bitten by lemon sharks. Really? Yeah. You've been, been bitten by a lemon? That's a scar from a lemon right there. And then I have one on my foot as well, where uh, both completely separate occasions, they just sort of sneak up on you and just bam, they suck. <laughs> God damn, bro. I think Manny's been bitten by like seven different species of sharks. He's been bitten by everything. He's insane. Have you seen the videos of the guys? I don't know. I think they're on the east coast of Florida, like off the coast of Jupiter or like Sebastian maybe. They um, they go out and they chum up all the bull sharks and then they go, they, sw- they swoop down on them. They shoot the cobia that swim yeah. like off the backs of them. I've done it. It's crazy. You've done that? Yeah, it's wild. And the, cob- and the bull sharks get so conditioned to what's going on that you pull the trigger and as the band snap, the bull shark darts off, but then just does a circle back to try and eat your cobia. So if you don't stone the cobia or you don't get it in really quickly, the bull sharks just turn around and come straight back for the fish. So you have this like, from my limited experience, I've done it twice. You have this like 45 second tops window to land that fish or it just gets ripped to shreds. <sighs> Dude. <laughs> I heard now all you have to do is go out there and just pop your bands a couple times and the bull sharks will just show up. I think so. I think they are that conditioned to free divers. I mean, it's, it's like ringing the dinner bell. You know, you go out there. They're not typically eating these cobia because the cobia are smart enough to stay behind them and stay lateral to them. And then somebody comes along and jabs a spear into it and sort of just leaves it wounded on a silver platter for them. Oh my God, <laughs> dude. We should go. I'll take you. It'd be fun. Dude, I'd be fucking terrified. I don't know if I could do that, It's man. worth it. It's so much fun. It's a rodeo. <laughs> you never gotten in any hairy situations with those bull sharks out there? No. Really? No. Oh, that's not true. I got one story. Oh, man. Should I should throw my buddy under the bus? I should. Um, so we're filming that show I was telling you about, Face the Beast, with this kid, Andrew Uckels, right? 
And if you've never seen Andrew Uckles, he'd be a great guest for you. But he's um he's this wild Australian kid. Like he's an absolute maniac. Like he makes Manny look tame. Like he's nuts. Really? Yeah. He, I mean, that's not a dig at Manny, but uh, Andrew's nuts. He's nuts. And uh, I love Andrew. He's crazy dude. But I should gotta preface it by saying this: he's not a waterman, right? He's not like us. He didn't grow up on the ocean. He grew up, you know, in the bush of outback of Australia. He's just not a waterman. He can swim, whatever. But do our first show. It's about catching these monster crocodiles in Myanmar. He's unbelievable. Builds this insane trap, catches this huge crocodile, wrestles at everything. Second episode of the show is digging into shark behavior. So I'm the producer of the show, and I'm like, all right, Andrew, like, we're going to go down to Jupiter. We're going to do all this stuff with the bull sharks, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, no worries, Chooch. That'll be all right. And I'm like, okay, great. That's my best Australian, by the way. And uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm like, all right, let's uh, you know, let's go do this thing. So we jump in the ledge. Mike, like I said, he's shaking up these bait crates and getting these bull sharks in. And I'm like, I'm the producer of this show, so I'm like, listen, Andrew, there's one thing you can't do, which is swim into the chump slick. Okay, you can swim all around, you can push the bull sharks off, whatever, talk about their behavior. But if you get when Mike shakes that crate, if you get down current of that right in front of it, the bull sharks come shooting in to eat all the chum. And if you're in the middle of it, they're going to bite you. Yeah, no worries, Chooch. I would never do that. Rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, all right, sounds good, bud. Uh, so, so we hit the water and uh, literally, I would say 15 seconds in, uh, Mike goes down, shakes the crate. Andrew hits the water. He dives straight in front of the bait crate. I don't know if he was being dumb. I don't know if he was being defiant. I don't know if he was unaware. I screamed at him like crazy. And these bull sharks come shooting in. And Mike, my cameraman, Johnny, and I, we're all, we're, it's all on free dive. We're all used to doing shark work. We all zoom in and are like back to back just pushing these sharks off Andrew. And he like curls into a ball because he's like, what the fuck? You know, because these sharks come shooting in at him. And he like curls into a ball. And luckily, nobody got bitten. Mike got really, really close. Like, he pushed the shark, and the shark chomped like this, like, bam, 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 right by his forearm, trying to hold the shark off Uckles. And uh, we popped back up. This all happened in 20 seconds, right, because it's a free dive. Popped back up, and I'm like, get the fuck back to the fucking boat, Andrew. You're like, you idiot. You didn't listen to a word I said. Like, you're grounded. I was furious. I thought we were going to kill this guy. And uh, that was, it was just so hairy because the way these sharks just came in, all like eyes rolled back in their head, mouth open, teeth exposed, chomping, trying to get to the bait, not trying to hurt Andrew or me or Mike or Johnny, which was, thank God nobody got hurt, but they were trying to get to the bait and this kid just swam into the center of it. And that was when I, I literally called it there. I was like, all right, everybody back to the boat, rethinking the strategy, like this is a bad play. <laughs> And that was the closest we ever came to a big problem. Were they bulls? Bulls. All bulls. Oh, my. I have video God, of it. I'll send it to you. Terrible. It's crazy. That's fucking nuts, man. It was like 12, 14 bulls all around at one time. Yeah. So what do you do? Like, how do you push them off without getting your fucking hand chomped off? Well, I've learned over time, uh, just from doing this with tigers and hammerheads and everything else, people think you just want to, like, push them on the nose, but you don't, you know, a shark will turn and snap and bite you a bunch of different places if you mm -hmm. touch them but if you use like the bottom of your palm like the lower part of your palm yeah and put it right on their nose and just sort of like twitch or rub a little bit to stimulate to stimulate their ampullae of lorenzini that specialized organ they have on the front of their nose they they slow down because it's it's like an overstimulation of their sensory organ so no matter what they slow down now when you do that their eyes will roll back in their head and their mouths will most of the time open so they are like you know like kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of going for you but 
as long as you don't just hold it there and try and like sit and you just gently push it away like not towards your body but away mm. and then pull your hand back at a relatively quickly so that you pull your hand back before they come out of that overstimulation state it's surprisingly easy to actually deflect a shark that's coming at you Whoa. now keep in mind these aren't sharks that are trying to attack you these are sharks that are swimming towards you to get to the bait or by, right by you or to investigate if this is a great white going for you like seal There's island no style doesn't matter how hard you're pushing <laughs> their noses <laughs> if it's hungry I think that's the big difference yeah. if they're really hungry yeah. then you're fucked no matter what if they truly see you as food, I, I say this to everybody that I get in the water with. I say this to everybody that I work with big animals with uh, on land, crocs, sharks, uh, big cats, anything. If you act like prey, they're going to treat you like prey. If you act like a dominant predator, they're going to respect you, right? So if you get scared, nervous, small, twitchy, fast motions, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, this is a fish and it's scared of me, you know, or this is whatever. This is a piece of bait and it's going to act like prey. And I'm going to treat it like prey. If you can puff your chest up, act confident, swim right at the shark that's swimming at you, mm -hmm. they backpedal. It's like getting into a fight with a guy at a bar and then you're more aggressive. You're like, wow, what are you going to do? And the guy's like, whoa, sorry, man, sorry. Right. You know, it's that same thing. Like if you back down, they're going to walk all over you. If you can sort of puff up and present yourself as an equal, they'll more often than not back down. Right, yeah. right. That's fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> I forgot what drink my... Hold on, I gotta drink my secret sauce drink. Dude, do it. Get your greens in. I should have drank this an hour ago. I might be more awake. Nah, you're good. I had a five-hour energy on the way here. Mm. I'm, I'm wired. Feels good. Bro, you gotta get these things. They're so good. What is it? Let me see it. It's called Magic Mind. It's got like all these amazing herbs, or not herbs, but just like nutrients in them. It's got matcha, adaptogen, nootropics. Oh, honey. wow. It's like, dude, it's like brain fuel. Ooh. Where do it's, you get these? It's, these? it's clutch for the podcast, too, because when you're like sitting here talking to people for so long, and you, you want to be like super focused and awake, yeah. but you don't want to be like gig, 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 super jittery, like exactly. you drink a five hour energy. That shit is clutch, man. Yeah, you don't want, you don't want, it's not all about the caffeine. It's I'm going to get, I'll clarity. get them, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll email them and I'll have them send you. They send me this shit for free. Oh, um, thanks. So they yeah. sponsor the podcast, but I'll have them send you a bunch too. It's, it's so clutch for recording podcasts. Looks great. I'd it's love amazing. to try it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank um, you. Anyways, what was your song? Oh, did you see the video in Egypt of that dude getting eaten by a tiger shark? It is horrific. That is the worst video of a like, shark attack. I'm getting like little goosebumps talking about it because it's just like playing that back in my mind. And do you, do you know the whole situation? It was like a guy on vacation with his dad. He was a Russian on vacation with mm -hmm. his dad, I think. And there was footage of him on a kayak previously. And he was out there like videoing himself or whatever. And somehow he ended, got off the kayak. Yeah. And he was just swimming. But I but the, it was, but I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there was like signs to not swim in the area. Like there was something known about not swimming there. I believe, really? I think so. I might be mixing up. With well, they were story. right next to a, like a dock where there was fishing boats. That's what it was. Fish cleaning station. There was yes. a fish cleaning station right there. And I think there was a known tiger shark that would hang out in the area. And yeah, the the like watching it actually grab the guy and like God. his arm flailing and stuff, and he like comes up and in Russian screams like "Help, Dad!" or dad, something like dad, that. Dad, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, oh, I kind of. It, it's the worst footage of a shark I, I, that I've ever seen of a shark killing somebody. It's horrific. You want to see something pretty crazy? Uh, yeah. Not not to deflect from that, but yeah. you want to see what happened to me day before yesterday? Yes. Nobody has seen this, and this is all. Uh, this is all. Click that video right there. It's only eight seconds long. Turn the volume on. And I used to carry a big, bulky handheld one. And Ready to go. 
I just got struck by lightning. What? Yeah, this was two days ago. Well, you should always have a GPS, Watch. And I used to carry a big, bulky, handheld one. And see, it zapped me. <laughs> you see the lightning come down. Dude, oh my... And you're in the water? In the water. It hammered the shit out of me. What My legs fuck? and butt were so sore, because I was standing like waist deep, or like thigh deep. And my legs and butt were so sore. This was day before yesterday, and I got hammered by that lightning. And uh, I still, to this moment, have this terrible metallic taste in my mouth. When I walked in here, I had three pieces of gum in my mouth. Can't get this metal taste out of my mouth. That's fucking insane. <laughs> I've never seen a video of somebody getting hit by lightning before. Where is that? In the Southern Everglades, day before yesterday. Oh my god, <laughs> Yeah, we're bro. filming promos for Garmin, because I, I have a thing with Garmin. Oh, do you really? Yeah, and I'm standing in the swamp. I just got one of those. Dude, isn't it great? I which, love it. Which one is that, do you know? The Phoenix 7. Fantastic watch. I just yeah. I just swapped it out, my old watch, for this one, and it's, it's amazing because it fucking lasts like 30 days on a charge. Game changer. Guys, all your metrics, like for me, being out in the wilderness a lot, it's got all my tracking stuff. I can connect it to my phone. I can connect my phone to my inReach, which is like a communication device, so I can talk to people. I love my stuff from them, but um, dude, this is the best watch I've ever had. For yeah, hands down, straight up. The only thing I can't figure out is how to connect my Spotify to it. I wish I could figure out how to like connect my music. To oh, it. I don't know. I've never tried that. Really? That's interesting. But shout out to Garmin. Hit the yeah, link the, hit the link in the description for ten percent off. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so we're out there just filming these little promo pieces, and um, yeah, sure enough, my my producer Mitch. He goes, dude, I think you should get out of the water. Like, he's from Florida. I'm from California, so I think I know it all. And uh, he's from Florida. And he's like, dude, you should get out of the water. Like, thunder and lightning's pretty bad. I'm like, shut up. Nothing's going to happen. Literally two minutes later, bam. And I'm just like, like, got fully fried. And uh, yeah, like, like you see it in the video there. Just that's a video of the video. But, uh, you know, like my legs and legs and butt like failed. I like sort of started to drop and got zapped and then ran out of the water. But it was obviously way too late by that point. How the fuck are you alive? Dude? I don't know. <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Bro. Isn't that nuts? That is absolutely insane. I've never seen a video like that before. Yeah, we're going to this. Any, nobody's seen it before. We're gonna you, where are you going to put up. that on your YouTube? I don't know. Probably everywhere, to be honest, because yeah. I've never seen a video like that. We'll definitely throw it on the YouTube, put it on our podcast channel and TikTok and Instagram and all that crap, because it's crazy. I mean, it's fucking wild. Oh, my God. Uh, I was... I was shocked to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> you're probably gonna live longer now. They probably like uh, lengthened the telomeres on your uh, on your DNA. Now you're gonna like have like I don't know. You're gonna live long. So that morning I woke up and chugged like a pretty good amount of cold brew and then had a five hour energy on the way there and then got shocked by lightning. So I just kept hoping I'd like wake up with like sparkle fingers or you're something. Have, yeah, you're gonna have like superpowers like Spider Man. <sighs> Let's bro. hope. I'm just gonna go get bitten by something. Have you slept now. since that happened? Yeah. Really? Fine. Slept I feel fine. fine. I feel great. Better than ever. <laughs> like within within two hours, my legs and butt were not sore anymore, and the only lingering thing is this metal taste in my mouth. Whoa. Which I have no idea if that's normal, not normal. Like I literally haven't even Googled it yet. Like I was oh we've been so busy, I'm just God. like, I'm fine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts, dude. <laughs> so Florida's crazy. Yeah, all the places I go. Florida, you got the bull sharks, you got lightning storms, mm -hmm. gators. It's a crazy place. It's a fucked up place, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like that, that guy in Egypt getting eaten by the shark. Like you never, th like I always thought before that. I was like, sharks don't fucking eat people. I'm like, the only yeah. time people get bit, it's by accident. They're trying to figure out what it is. They're hungry. I mean, sharks get, there's more shark bites in New Smyrna Beach, Florida than like anywhere in the world, but they're little sharks. They're like little black tips or right. like spinner sharks. Right. And they're not, obviously, they're not trying to eat humans. They're not they're eating people. Biting whatever they see, but yep. like when you see a shark devouring somebody. Well, tiger sharks are their own kind of special, right? And what I mean by that is, 
a bull shark does not want to eat a person. That's a fish eater, right? That's what bull sharks eat. Uh, a great white shark will make the mistake of eating a person thinking that it's a marine mammal like a seal or a sea lion or something like that. And I would guess, I could be wrong, but I guess a, a t- uh, great white's never actually fully eaten a person. The problem is an investigative bite from a great white shark's lethal. Is dead, yeah. Yeah. Now, a tiger shark's its own kind of special because tiger sharks will eat people. They'll eat anything, right? Tiger sharks have been cut open. They've found car tires in their stomachs, license plates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll they'll eat anything. They'll eat any a whale carcass, a human carcass, a sea turtle, like you name it. If they find it and it's available food, they're going to eat it. And that's that's why they have like this nickname, the the dumpster of the sea, right? Because they'll just if they can fit it in their mouths and can catch it, they're going to eat it. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Like. When it comes to a tiger shark versus almost any other species, if they take a bite, they're like, oh, yeah, this is edible. And then they're going to keep trying to eat it, which right. he clearly does in that video with that poor guy. Plus, I think that shark was pregnant. It was a pregnant female. Fem- it was a pregnant female. They killed her a few days later, right? Didn't they, I read that? I think the same day they caught same her day. and killed her. Yeah, and they cut her open. They found his remains in there. That's but rough. if it's a pregnant female, I guess from what I heard is they can't swim as fast. Yeah. So they can't catch sense. fish. Makes so sense. whatever they find that's slow, they're just going to fucking eat it. Yeah, I mean, you know, tiger sharks more often than not are eating sea turtles. And they're slow moving, floating on the surface, you know, come up. Like anyone can catch a sea turtle. You can jump in the ocean and catch a sea turtle, right, you know. Right, right. <clears throat> and uh, it makes sense. It's just, uh, it's all the factors as well, right? Like being pregnant means you want larger meals because you're eating for multiple. You know, just the same as when your wife's pregnant. It's the same thing, right? right. She's eating giant chicken sandwiches or whatever you're yeah. like i've never seen you eat that before <laughs> it's the same thing you know yeah. um so it all sort of it all sort of adds up but it is a gruesome gruesome video yeah man yeah manny was telling me that the shark populations here are like exploding like to an unhealthy level you know i've heard that i don't think that's scientifically validated really um yeah because there's a whole thing there's a i mean florida is such an interesting place but there's a huge war between like the ecotourism, shark diver, scientific sort of, you know, like more cons- conservation-minded side, and then like the consumptive hunting side. Like there, those those two groups are at odds. Doesn't matter if it's about fish, sharks, hunting invasive ducks or iguanas. They're just they're just at odds with each other. I'm very neutral. I think being a sportsman is I'm love spearfishing and diving and shooting fish i also know you know the scientific side of things and believing in the conservation of things globally shark populations are down 80 percent. really yeah 80 percent of the world's sharks are gone whoa yeah and that's not like this year that's in in totality but um like shark populations are hammered globally right Compared to where sharks were, I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I think they've bounced back. I'm talking about Florida specifically now. I think okay. they've bounced back. Now, are they out of control and eating all the fish and blah, blah, blah? Absolutely not. Like, it, Florida has such an incredibly abundant, healthy fishery, it can support that many sharks. Mm. You're never, ever going to have an ecosystem that has so many sharks and no fish to eat, right? Like, that's clownish. Like, we have this thing called the predator-prey cycle, which mm-hmm. when you have a lot, a ton of prey... Then all of a sudden the predator population bounces up, predator population gets over control, like overpopulated, hammers the prey concentration, right? And it goes in these cycles. It's just very natural. If you can imagine predators going like this and prey doing the opposite, right? That's a predator prey cycle. You're never going to end up with, for any long period of time, too many sharks and no fish in the ocean because it just doesn't make sense. You can't support that population of sharks if there's not enough food for them. And Mm. I know there's arguments about 
oh, well, the sharks are getting fed by fishermen, blah, blah. It's nonsense because without enough prey, you cannot have that many predators. Okay. Right. Now, what people are actually seeing that is problematic, undeniably, is habituation of sharks. Sharks are not dumb animals. They're smart animals. They've been on this planet longer than trees, okay? They're, they're millions of years old. What's happening is the sharks all over Florida are going, hey, that boat means the dinner bell. That spear gun pop means the dinner bell. Like, that's what that's happening. So sharks are now conditioned to be around people. People are cutting fish. They're throwing it off the boat. They're chumming. They're baiting. They're shooting fish. And so people think, oh, sharks are overpopulated. They're not overpopulated. There might be slightly more now than there were 10 years ago, and that might fall in the next few years. But what's more realistically happening is the sharks that are here are going, hey, there's people here and people mean food. So let's be by the people, you know? And so we feel like there's way overpopulated sharks because every time you take your boat out to a popular dive site, 15 sharks show up. And you're like, there's way too many sharks in Florida. Every time I dive here, I see 15, 30 sharks. Right. Right. Because for the last 10 years, everybody has directly or indirectly fed those sharks. So of course there's way too many sharks in this spot. Right. But on, on a whole mass of the state, and the planet, more importantly, there is not too many sharks. Right. Yeah. Do you think it makes sense for the sharks to be so protected like they are right now? Or do you think it should be more... I don't know the regulations. I, I, I can't speak on that, really. I don't know. Is it? I think it's species by species, right? In Maybe Florida? you can find that, Stephen, like what the regulations are on shark fishing in Florida. I think, and I, and I stand by this with almost anything, you know, great white sharks, things like that are maybe an exception that are very, very top of the food chain. The higher up you get in the food chain, the slower you reproduce, the lower your population density, right? You're never going to see millions of tigers, right? right? Because there's not enough prey to support all the tigers. And I don't mean tiger sharks, I mean tigers, right? You're never going to see millions of great white sharks because there aren't billions of seals. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? You need yeah. billions of seals to have millions of great white sharks. Right, right. And there aren't quadrillions of fish to support the billions of seals. So mm -hmm. you're never going to have the most at the top. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of me explaining my personal take on this, yeah. which is you should never hunt stuff that's a very, very top of the food chain to with any kind of intense pressure because you can collapse that keystone species. Taking sharks, I don't have a problem with it. If there is plenty... If there is a well-conducted survey and study, and it's like, hey, we have a massively sustainable population of reef sharks. I'm just making that anecdotally. And we can do a quota of 500 reef sharks a year get taken. And that will not impact their overall population. That won't impact anything below them. Great. Mm -hmm. Take 500 reef sharks a year. I don't want to kill a reef shark. I don't think they taste good. I don't want to personally hurt one. I don't like it, but I have no problem with you doing it. You know, like go for it because the population and the ecosystem can sustain the removal of 500 sharks a year. So as long as it it sort of stays in that family of not hurting the ecosystem, who cares? Like go for right. it. The sharks will reproduce. They'll refill that niche. Now, if the difference is 500 versus 700, where if we take 700 sharks a year, then, oh, actually over 10 years, we're going to see a population decline to the point of collapse. No. Don't take 700. Go back to the 500 number. You know what right. I mean? Just like it has to be studied. That's the only way you can you can monitor these things and apply useful regulations. Right, right. The science, uh, the science of the fisheries kind of gets bastardized a little bit too, because um, especially when it comes to like the quotas for these other fish, like snapper and grouper around here. Yeah. 
um, I did this documentary years ago about like the commercial fishing industry around here specifically, mm-hmm. I guess like cause Madeira beach is right up the road and it's like the number one grouper port in the world. There's like more grouper caught in the Gulf of Mexico brought in through that pass like wow. two miles down the road than anywhere. Mostly black grouper or everything? Gags. And, Gags, yeah. black grouper, reds, a lot of reds, mm-hmm. all kinds of grouper. Wow. Um, but like the quota, the quotas was set up. I forget. I'm, I'm sort of like fuzzy on the dates. But I remember like when they first enacted like that federal quota system, all the quota was given to um, these people originally. So like all these fishermen or boat owners back Mm -hmm. in the day, they were assigned to this quota. Now what happens is those guys who own those quota, they basically lease it out to other fishermen. Yeah. So they're just like capitalized. It's like a monopoly system. Mm -hmm. What is this? Harvestable sharks, bag limit, one shark per person per day. I mean, so to me, that seems reasonable. And I don't know, like they've got a list of species. Dogfish are one of the most widely distributed sharks on the planet. They're in every ocean in the world, I think, except Antarctica, right? I don't mm-hmm. know about some of these other. Bonnethead's a type of, of hammerhead. Two sharks, minimum size, blah, blah. Oceanic white tip, that shouldn't be there, right? Like, I, oceanic white tips are yeah. hammered. Their population's fucked. Is it really? It is. They're Why? really rough. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there used to be a lot of oceanic white... I, I do know. I don't know I don't know. Why I said I didn't know. It's because <laughs> of the shark fin trade. So they're a scavenger uh, shark in blue water. Right. And longliners throw out, you know, lines of bait and hooks. And they're, like, very, very quick to hit the longline. And so that species in particular has been really, really hammered. I think, you know, you'd have to check my, my reading on That's that. That's like but. being that, like a pelagic fish way out there in the open ocean is like living in the desert for a shark. A hundred percent. And then when you see a bite of food, you have to take it. Right. Because who knows when your next meal's coming. That's why the shipwrecks, they all, all the people get devoured by exactly. those sharks. Exactly. But, you know, to me, as long as this is well studied, and it goes back to what you were just saying about the quota limits, you can't set a quota and maintain it. That's not really science, right? Science is like an ever evolving right. understanding of things. So if you're just like, Oh, bag limits one shark per person. And then we run that for 10 years and go, hey, there's way more sharks now than there were 10 years ago for whatever other factors. Make the bag limit two sharks Mm, per person. But if you go bag limits one shark per person, and after 10 years, you're like, hey, there's not a lot of sharks left. Like, okay, we shouldn't be killing sharks, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as Florida Fish and Wildlife and NOAA and all these organizations are keeping up to date on their studies and research, which I can't say whether they are or they aren't, I see no problem with it. Mm. But it has to be managed. That's the thing. It just has to be managed. People should enjoy resources. We should have monetary value on animals because it protects them. It makes right. them safe. If, if if there are guys that are willing to pay $100,000 to go out and shoot a, shoot a bull shark or whatever, and the bull shark population's fine, and that $100,000 somehow goes back into the conservation of the species, the same thing as like, game hunting in Africa. Yeah. That's great. It just has to be managed correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it just has to be done well. That's right. all. If there's one thing I know about my listeners is that they appreciate innovation. That's why I want to introduce you to Ghostbed, makers of some of the most cutting-edge mattresses available. Whether it's their world-exclusive massage bed, their proprietary cooling technology, or the patented materials they use, Ghostbed is always finding ways to elevate the sleeping experience. And as a family-owned business with over two decades in the industry, they have garnered a devoted following. Ghostbed offers luxury mattresses without the luxury price tag, and they're known for their incredible sales. If you go to ghostbed.com forward slash Danny and use the code Danny at checkout, you can get an astonishing 40% off your purchase. You get a 101 night sleep trial along with free shipping and returns when you purchase your mattress so you can try it in the comfort of your own home. And Ghostbed has a dedicated team of sleep experts on standby 
to help you find the perfect bed. It's an unbeatable opportunity to enhance your sleep quality, so don't miss out. Visit ghostbed.com forward slash Danny today to transform your sleep for the better. It's linked below. Now back to the show. You're from Zimbabwe, right? That's right, yeah. How the hell did you end up in Zimbabwe, or how did your parents end up in Zimbabwe? Yeah, so I'm sixth generation, so my oh, family's really? been there a long time, wow. longer than California's been around. So, <laughs> yeah, where I live now. So, um, you know, my my family had been in Africa uh, for a very long time. Uh, my grandfather, my mother's side of the family, English settlers, um, way back when, mm-hmm. and then my grandmother, uh, my my father's family's American, so that's how I ended up back here, and I actually have an American passport, and I. I my parents brought me over here to have birth here so that I was born in America had oh, a passport wow. yeah which was clever went back when I was a few months old and um, you know I I have a lot of American ties but I grew up in Zimbabwe in the bush on a farm safari all the time um, very prim and proper school you know ties and uniforms and prefects and uh yeah, very different childhood to your average American. Did you go to the school that had the UFO encounter or the alien encounter? I'm familiar with it, but no, I didn't. My mom um, also didn't go to the school, but she remembers it vividly. Not the alien encounter, but when it all happened. That was like 94, I think. Uh, yeah, we were, we were. Uh, was it 94? I don't remember, but yeah. It was early 90s. Yeah, well, I or mean. Maybe 97, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I was there, I was in Zimbabwe in school, but I was little and don't really remember it that well. Right, right, right. Whereas it was very well talked about. Yeah, aerial school. What year was it? 94. 94, okay. yeah. So my mom was like, we were all living there and I've talked to my mother about it and she's like, yeah, I remember it. Like it's, you know, she's not a believer in like aliens or anything like that. But she's like, yeah, everybody says the same thing, <laughs> saw the same thing. You know, it's pretty spine tingling. Like, yeah, there's something there. That's the first thing I thought of because I like was looking up your age. Like, me and you were about the same age. Yeah. Like, we would have been in school, like in that kind of school at that in '94. I was like, what if he was at the aerial school? I wish. I wish. I, wish <laughs> this I had dude's that. seen everything, dude. I wish. Well, I have been struck by lightning. So, and um, you've been struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I wish. I wish that was amazing. I mean, with all the new stuff coming out on aliens and UFOs and all that, it's like. I don't know. It's like, to me, it's like this Rolodex of things is being checked. Like, we're getting closer and closer to just being like, yeah, here they are. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're slowly uh, they're slowly letting the, new, the news out so we don't lose our minds when they actually uh, admit there is aliens. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's like all a smoke and mirrors show. Right. That's yeah. a good chance. To pull, to pull our attention off of the economic crisis and everything else. Yes, yeah. exactly. Or war or whatever it might <laughs> or be. Or whatever, yeah. So, like, how did you, when you were a kid growing up in Zimbabwe, like, how old were you when you were, were you just running around with wild lions and stuff and tigers? when you were like a yeah, toddler? Yeah, I mean, more or less. You know, it's it's like asking a Florida boy if he was running around in the swamps with gators. Like, you can be okay. if you want to be, okay. right? Just like you, like, our, if we have kids in Florida and we're, they want to go play in the swamp, you can be, or you can go to the mall, right? And so it's the same. Right, same right. <laughs> nobody gets a mall anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the same sort of idea. So my family ran safari businesses. Oh, so okay. uh, when I wasn't in school, I was in the bush, I was barefoot, I was running around with wildlife, you know, the difference being here, like, you run around in your backyard and maybe you see a raccoon, there, like, it can be a cobra, it can be a leopard, it can be a hyena, you know, anything can happen, so, um, I was spent a lot of time in the bush, but I think it was because I grew up with that one-track mind, I was always singularly focused on wildlife my sister grew up the same way and she works in fashion you know oh wow so like it's just choices you know and things that you're it's it's not all uh nature versus nurture you know like i was Mm. just completely enamored with animals from a very young age and still am today Mm. so how did that i mean when you went to california you must have been bummed 
Dude, well, it was rough. So we got kicked out of Zimbabwe during the land reform era. So we had, oh. yeah, yeah. So we had war veterans. It wasn't real war veterans, but we won't go into the minutia of it. But we had, uh, there was a land reform era in the early late 90s, early 2000s in Zimbabwe where uh, people could come and take your land with guns. And so we had all of our neighbors killed, murdered, tortured. What? A lot of our staff were went through Pungwis, which is indoctrination, indoctrination through torture to be converted into the ZANU-PF political party. Like, it was crazy. We got shot at a lot. I was in a couple gunfights as a 14-year-old. Like, things were crazy. And one day, to make a long story short, the war veterans had taken all the farms around us because they were all bigger than ours. We had lived in the smallest farm in the area. And uh, our farm was the last to go. They were on all sides of the fence, basically. And they came in, and my dad was out of the picture. So it was me as a 14-year-old boy who was, like, sort of running the household, at least aesthetically, because in Zimbabwean culture and Shauna culture, women can't run things. Men have to. And even a 14-year-old boy had more say than my mother, who actually ran things. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, it was all translated through me. So it was just me, my mother, and my little sister living on this farm in rural Africa, and uh and and you know our staff and everything farm workers and things and um anyway they one day we'd lost all the neighbors all the land was gone all the land reform had ended they were they came and knocked on our door they had guns and i think because it was a single mother with two kids instead of just killing us on the spot they were like you have 24 hours to leave or we're taking it and i was 14 so i ran upstairs i got my 22 rifle i got my knife and put it on my belt and i ran downstairs i was like let's fucking go and my mom slapped me across the face and she's like back your things and get in the car and so we left uh we fled fled zimbabwe and came to america with uh, a couple hundred bucks whoa yeah so were those those terror groups that were in north africa no, so we live in Southern Africa, Zimbabwe's in Southern oh, Africa, in Southern but Africa, it is huh? terror groups. You can call it whatever you like. It's If you look it up, it's called... Boko Haram? No, that's a whole different oh, okay, thing. Okay. So this is uh, the Muga Robert Mugabe regime, and it was who's dead now, but he was a dictator for life, self-declared, and uh, he was the president of Zimbabwe, and his political party, which was the ZANU-PF party, uh, their way of retaining power was to blame all of the white farmers for taking all of the money from all of the the native black people but like i said we'd been there six generations we felt as native as we could be right. and it was really like a methodology to get angry poor street kids aggressive to think that they could be rich if they took things for themselves and it was very very genius because it ended up in a lot of deaths and uh it's the same thing that's happening in south africa right now and it's called it was called land reform and so yeah so we lost everything fled to america Went from living on a 200-acre farm with a giant lake and 200-plus employees and a giant, uh, uh, not giant, but a big safari business and airplanes and everything to a Zimbabwe currency was basically blacklisted on the world's trades embargo at that time. Mm. So we had no money at all. So we came to America with 200 bucks, three suitcases of clothes, and went into welfare. So pretty, wow, pretty quick flip-flop in Oakland, California. <laughs> Which was a rough neighborhood back then. It wasn't yeah. old, wasn't old yes. it wasn't all gentrified and like no. upscale like it is today, I'll Not tell you that. At all. <laughs> yeah, I have a uh, I think I have a one hundred trillion dollar Zimbabwe bill somewhere uh -huh. in my house. Yeah. I remember like right around when we left, if you wanted to buy a loaf of bread, you would take two like plastic grocery bags of cash into the store to buy a loaf of bread. And it would take them five to ten minutes to count out the cash for a loaf of bread. It was Valueless. The the currency was not worth the paper that it was printed on. God, dude, <laughs> that is so wild. Yeah, it was a crazy place. It was crazy, and it's funny because the childhood I had. I don't want to paint a bad picture of Zimbabwe because the childhood I had was idyllic. Like 
never locked a door, ran around barefoot. All of my best friends were native kids, like Shauna kids that lived on the farm. I'd sleep in their mud huts. They'd come sleep in the house where we lived. You know, we'd run around like best, best friends, uh, run around just having so much fun, catching jackals and snakes and fishing in the dam. Just the most idyllic, like country childhood you could ever imagine. And then things just slow, not even that slowly, they rapidly got worse. But as Zimbabweans, like very different culture, the 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 culture there is like dig your heels in and fight for what's yours because they've been through multiple wars and everything mm. else. And so that was what we did. We're like, things will be fine. We'll get out of this in the long run. Things will switch. And it didn't. There's basically no farms left, you know, so it just the country completely collapsed. What's it like right now? It's still, in my opinion, the most beautiful place in the world. There's nowhere like Monopool, Zimbabwe for a safari on planet Earth. I mean, it's just stunning. Victoria Falls, one of the greatest natural wonders in the world. But it's in economic disarray. There's no real money, money still. It's like all bullshit. Like, I have a friend from Zimbabwe. His name's Stu. And I was like, oh, man, like, how's it going, bro? Like, how are things at home now? And he's like, oh, no, it's not so bad now. I was like, well, how does it work? He's like, oh, yeah, so all you have to do is you buy an Apple gift card and you load that gift card with money and then you pay people on Apple iTunes in order to buy things. It's like, well, what about the banks? He's like, oh, there's no banks anymore. You know, it's just like there are banks, but they don't hold money. They're not reliable. Like you can't get withdrawals. There's no electricity. Like the water's now tainted. Like Zimbabwe went from this the crown jewel of Africa. Like keep in mind, it was one to one with the British pound at one point, meaning it was richer than the United States to the poorest country in the world in 10 years. God damn. Yeah. I know poaching's a big issue over there. I know, everywhere. I had everywhere the, in Africa. Everywhere in Africa, yeah. yeah. I had this dude, Ryan Tate, on here who, uh-huh. uh, who uh, works for this organization called VetPaw, where I guess it's like they have these um, these war veterans that go over there yeah. and they like volunteer to like help fight the poachers out there. I love that. And they do shit. They, they literally like go out at night, like clandestine, and rip yeah. people out of their bedrooms while they're sleeping. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, um, and it's, it's funny because it's not... It's relatively widely talked about, but maybe maybe your listeners have already heard this before, but it is an active, unregulated war that is taking place in certain parts of Southern Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. In Zimbabwe specifically, like we're, we're I, don't th- I don't know if I should name the place or not, but there's a huge reserve in the southern part of Zimbabwe, huge, huge. And they have their own trained military militia that are anti-poaching. And at the same time, and they fund that through running hunting camps on on this property, which is one of the reasons I'm like supportive of hunting when it's done right, right? They fund this by selling big game hunts on this huge, oh, really? huge property. Yeah, that's how they fund this military militia. There's no rhino hunting, of course. You know, you can't come in, doesn't matter how much money you have and shoot a rhino, because they don't believe in that. You can shoot almost anything else. Can you shoot elephants? I'm not sure if they allow elephant or not, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, there's a lot of parks in Africa where elephants are overpopulated. You know, oh, really? So you can go. I'm not condoning elephant hunting. Right. I personally don't understand it. I could never, never shoot an elephant. Like it's so weird. Look into those eyes. They're so peaceful. They're not scared of you either. You just walk up to and shoot it. You know. I think about it all the time when I see the pictures of those guys posing next to the dead elephants. I'm like, what do you? Maybe I just didn't get that gene. Same. You know I what I mean? Don't I don't. I don't see what you get from that. I. uh and I, I want to finish the thing about poaching yeah, in the yeah. war, but I uh, two years ago, we moved 24 rogue elephants in Mozambique that were killing people, and we moved them from an unregulated area into a national park, and 
To make a long story short, I darted this one from this helicopter, landed, ran over to it, pulled its trunk out because they can't breathe when they're, they breathe through their trunks exclusively. So if they land on their trunk, they asphyxiate. Pulled his trunk out and I'm sitting there feeling this breath of this huge bull elephant, like a hundred, like a 75 pounder, meaning each tusk was like 75 pounds, which is a big elephant, big bull. And I put my hand on him and I feel this warm skin. I look at this big doughy eye and I'm not the most emotional person in the world, but I was, I had this lump in my throat. Like I just wanted to cry. I don't know why. And it was just from looking at this magnificent animal. It wasn't dead. He was just sleeping and we were saving his life. And it was the most incredible emotional experience just to touch a being that enormous and grand and majestic. I can't even imagine wanting to put a bullet through something like that's head. It's insane to me. But anyway, back to the poaching. There's these big, big parks like the one I was mentioning, big, big privately held areas. And there are these active wars going on. You have a whole group of well-funded poachers because a rhino horn is worth a fortune. And they're super well-funded with night vision and AR rifles. And I don't even know all the terminology, like all this crazy technology. And then you have a whole anti-poaching unit. And because it's in a place like Zimbabwe, which I've just explained, like what the law is like and everything else, it is, an, it is a physical war that nobody's involved in. There's no police, there's no military, there's nothing. It's just this group that protects the animals versus this group that's trying to kill the animals. And whatever happens, happens. If you run into a poacher, you shoot them. If the poacher shoots you first, they shoot you. If, if 10 people die that day, nobody knows. If 1,000 people die on that on a, in a gunfight that day, nobody knows. It's just, this is how things operate in this little world. And it's so crazy living in America now where, like, if I let a firework off, I'm probably going to have a cops visit me, right? And there, there are full-on gunfights every week, people being murdered over rhino horn and poaching and this, like, amazing group of people, like you just mentioned, who will risk their lives to save the animals and this other awful group of people that are funding it to try and kill the animal. It's crazy, and people don't even know about it. Who's funding the poachers? The Chinese, quite frankly. And I'm not an anti-China guy or anything else, but... uh, I, should, I shouldn't say the Chinese. I should say Eastern medicine. So China and Vietnam specifically have, uh, you know, they, they have Eastern medicine beliefs in rhino horn, tiger whiskers, you know, vaquita swim bladders, like all these stu- or not vaquita, it's uh, uh, <clears throat> a big fish, tortuava swim bladders, all these stupid things that mm-hmm. are all nothing. Like rhino horns, the same thing as our fingernails as keratin. Right. It doesn't, it's nothing. It's valueless. But they have all these Eastern medicinal practices, specifically in China and Vietnam. And I do think that the image is changing. We can talk about that. But they they want it for those things. And because it's so valuable, like one rhino horn like this is worth a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? What? Oh, yeah. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, to a Zimbabwean Shauna guy who's lived in a mud hut his whole life, who maybe when the economy was good 25 years ago, would make... A hundred thousand, uh, sorry, a hundred dollars per month US. One horn that big changes your entire life. And so that's one thing that has always gotten wrong. It's not necessarily the guy shooting the animal that's the bad guy, it's the people funding them. You know, right. that guy's just trying to make a living. He's trying to feed his family. I'm not saying he's a good person because he knows what he's doing. But at the same time, there's some guy behind the scenes from China or Vietnam that runs this totally mafioso thing that's feeding them all these guns, training, money, promises. It's just like, you know, high-level drug dealing over here. That's the thing, man. If you're poor and you and your kids are starving, yeah. are you willing to kill a rhino? Of course. Right. Of course. I would do anything. I, it's funny because five, five years ago, I have, t- I have two kids now. Five years ago, before either of my boys were born, I would have been like, 
No, like my children could starve to death. Same. Like I don't care. I would yeah. never kill a rhino. That, that that that's my feeling. Now, if my son was literally starving to death and and a rhino was the only thing on the table, there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect my son. Nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get that. And that's that's what these people are going through and that's why I say they're victimized because they're hammered by this well-funded group promising them a life of riches and retirement if they just do this one thing. It's just this right. one thing. Just go out there, get one rhino. That's right. what they're saying, right? right? Take our guns, take take this, take that, go out there. You know where the rhino live. You've grown up in the bush. You live beside the game park. Get one rhino and your life has changed forever. Mm-hmm. And that's the promise they're selling them on, right? Your kids will never be starving again. You'll have medicine. You'll have running water and electricity. Right. They're, they're, you know, and that's that's why it's really not the people, the actual poachers that are right. the bad guys. Right. And people realize this. This is not. This is well recognized in the in the poaching world. And people are going after the like the mafioso like guys. And there was this big. I think he was Vietnamese, uh, like kingpin that was caught in South Africa about two years ago. And I think catching him alone eliminated like four hundred poachers. Wow! Because he was the he was he was the kingpin, right? He was funding everything and sending it out. It was all going through him. He was the exporter to China. And they caught him after this amazing sting operation, and executed him. And that that wiped out four hundred poachers like that. It's amazing. That is incredible. <laughs> Don't they also use those uh, those horns for like creating little trinkets and like statues, like those little mini statuettes that they carve the little Chinese. I don't like really know. I mean, they definitely do that with ivory, like elephant ivory. ivory. That's what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, ivory. But I think, you know, I think the thing now is, so China's obviously had a massive economic boom, Vietnam as well, right? And so now they have a huge middle class, economic middle class. Mm. And the economic middle class wants to have all these luxuries right. that the super rich have. Just like us. I want a Ferrari. You don't want a Ferrari? We yeah. both want Ferraris, right? Who doesn't want a Ferrari? But the only people who can afford Ferraris are truly, truly rich people, Right. And so when you have this larger economic middle class, they're all striving for these luxuries that the super wealthy had and Chinese and Vietnamese and other Southeast and other Asian cultures are like, oh, well, that luxury for us is rhino horn dick pills. Mm -hmm. It's ivory on the wall. It's whatever. Right. And so that's the problem is this economic boom has created enough money for a larger population to be able to afford these luxuries. Right. That's insane, bro. It's insane. <laughs> um, I got to take a leak real quick. No, you're good. <laughs> good dude, Paul. Genuinely. Paul, dude, dude, he's the man. Such a great guy. I can't. I couldn't believe he had never been on a podcast before. Well, my buddy, he met my buddy Julian actually through Ryan Tate, the guy from Africa. Okay. So Julian had Ryan on his podcast, and Paul just came along with him. Oh, and no then Paul started talking to Paul like off camera after the podcast. Like, yeah, what's your deal? He's like, oh, I, I live in the Amazon. I live with a tribe in the Amazon. Catch anacondas all day. Yeah, and, and then walk he, on floating forests. Like, no, nothing new. So yeah, he was basically he was telling him the story of how like he kind of got screwed by. I don't remember. I don't want to get it wrong, but it was either like Nat Geo or Discovery. They produced a show uh, with Discovery. Him. Was the, it Discovery? The snake show. The snake show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Where they tried to set him up getting eaten by an anaconda. Eat me alive or eaten alive or something like that. Yeah, dude, that was such a crock. And then they put him on, a, they had to like stage the whole thing. They fucking went to some farm in Texas, I think it was, where some guy owned an anaconda and they had to like produce the whole thing. The thing wasn't even hungry. Did he tell all this? Oh yeah, he oh, told everything. No kidding, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's That's like the, crazy. the snake wasn't even hungry. Like they had to fake produce it to make it look real. Then the final the thing actually did squeeze him, and then they had to pull him out, and then then they put him on Good Morning America to try to promote the show. And he's like, he's like, this is 
fucking fake. Like, why am I going to do this? Like, this is so bad. And they're like, if you don't fucking do it, you're not getting paid or something like that. And it sucks too, because like, you know, I've, I've been in the TV game for quite a long time yeah. now. So I know where and when to say no. And I don't know if this was discovery. It was more likely the production company that was making it for discovery, you know, mm. but I don't really know. But, um, I work with Discovery. They're a great business partner to me. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I know when to say no immediately. Like, mm -hmm. I've been approached by not them, but production companies being like, hey, don't you want to do this dating show where a guy gets like rides a bear in? And I'm like, nope, not doing that, you know? But when you're early on in your career and you're probably in Paul's mentality where he's like, oh, this is my big break. Like, I just have to do this thing. And then I can communicate all this wildlife science. I can talk about giant snakes. I can teach people that they're not actually mindless killing machines. I'll do what they say because they have my best interests in mind. You just say yes. You go on the show. You let the snake try and eat you. And it's so sad because I think he's remembered for that stunt. Yeah. And he's such a good guy. He so genuinely cares about wildlife and animals and giant snakes and, and indigenous peoples and everything. And he's been labeled, like, especially in the herpetological community, as like, you know, like, Oh, what a, what a jerk. Like, how could he do this stunty thing? And it's so not his fault. It's, right. it's really no, unfortunate. Not at all. He got taken yeah. advantage of, man. He did. He, and he was young. And it was his first Yeah, time I think he was like 24 or yeah. something, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was super young. And he really got, you know, bullied into that. Which yeah, he did. Such bullshit. Yeah, it sucks. But, but he, dude, he is something else. When he was describing to me how the Amazon basically, like, how when you go down there and you're down there for a certain amount of time, how all these suppressed sort of alarms and sensors that are in our bodies, mm -hmm. they all of a sudden come to the surface and wake up. Yeah. Like when you're walking yeah. through the forest, yeah. all of a sudden, like there's this something inside you that turns on that's like suppressed because of our technology. And we live in this world where there's no threats. Mm -hmm. There's no existential threats. You drive Correct. to Publix to go shopping. And when you're out there, there's nothing but the birds and the fucking river and right. fucking jaguars. Yeah. It like he's spot on. It flips a switch that's, yeah, that's buried in us. You go back to what humans are supposed to be or evolutionarily became, which is alive, alert, observant, primal beings, you know, hunters, gatherers, whether you hunt or not, whether you're like, you know, Paul and live in the Amazon, you become aware of your surroundings. So you're, oh, there's a bird there. There's a beetle there. There's a snake there. There's something moving in the bushes. When you're walking around with AirPods in playing Pokemon Go, like, you know, like, forget about it. Staring like, at your iPhone all dude, day. Dude, are you kidding me? I've almost been hit by a car staring at my iPhone crossing the street, but I know enough to, similarly to Paul and not nearly to the extent he is, completely unplug for weeks and months at a time when I go on expeditions. And it's just like, you. every part of you feels better. You feel more awake, more alive, more alert, more observant. Your senses become heightened. You can smell more and taste more. You feel more. You feel the ground under your feet differently. It's crazy how much you wake up. And then we go back into this digital sedative that is our everyday life. Right. It's crazy. I mean, I don't want to say the same things he did, but I, I, I know what he experiences and I respect it so much, and I, I, I wish more people would try it. Mm. Yeah, he said that when he first got down there, he got, was like wearing these big boots, and the natives were looking at his boots like, what the fuck are those? Like, oh, yeah. Take those off. He's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> for sure, because they're these big, heavy swamp things. You know, in the Amazon, it's super wet. Those things get wet. They stay wet forever. It's like, put on some sandals like everybody else and get in the jungle. And like, the fact <laughs> that he doesn't carry a gun with him is just crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's the way. That's the way it is down there, you know? <laughs> You've been down there before, haven't you? A lot of times, yeah. Not to his place. I We've talked about it a lot. I need to go visit him. But, um, yeah, I've been to Ecuadorian, Peruvian, uh, Colombian Amazon. 
Brazilian Amazon as well. Yeah. Were you filming shows down there? What were you, what were you uh, specifically doing down there? Yeah, I mean, filming our shows are expeditions, typically. Oh, expeditions. You know, okay. so it's the same, It's one and the same for us. Like, we have a very tight-knit crew, six guys. We go on anywhere from a 10-day to month-long expedition to film a show. And, uh, you know, that's why our shows are what they are and are as popular as they have been because there's no faking it in a backyard in Texas. Like, we just take a camera crew, and instead of saving a bunch of money by faking it, we just go for a month and just say, fuck it, you know? And uh, we've had some some epic epic trips down there. Did you guys ever run into any uncontacted tribes? Not there, no. Um, Papua New Guinea, not uncontacted, but very very remote. Uh, like, like we went to a tribe in Papua New Guinea that hadn't like none of the children had ever seen a white person. Like they came up, touched our skin, touched our hair, you know, stuff like that. Some of the elder elders had, you know, like people that they seemed elder elder. They're probably like in their fifties, but you know, that's it's a harder life over there. Yeah. And uh, they they had like you know met white people in their life before, but the kid the children's generation never had you know none of the teenagers ever had or so young adults ever had. Um, but no, I've never had any truly like uncontacted tribe stuff. We had a pretty interesting experience in um, the Ecuadorian no, yeah Ecuadorian Amazon. The very first time I went, this was 10, 15 years ago now, so it's been a minute. We went with this little guy named Fausto, this tiny little Ecuadorian Amazonian guy. I'm not sure what tribe. Flew into Cocos and went down this river for a few days. And uh, it was just me and two buddies. It wasn't a show. It was just my first trip to the Amazon. We spent 10 days. It was our spring break in college, actually. It was our <laughs> spring break. And uh, we spent 10 days going as deep into the Ecuadorian Amazon as we could get before turning around and running out there. And on uh, fourth or fifth day... We parked our little motor canoe and we're just hiking the jungle looking for snakes and taking photos and you know just doing fun wildlife stuff uh no real purpose to it just exploring and uh our guide faster looks at the ground and he like sees a footprint and uh he sees something else i forget what it was uh maybe it was like a machete handle or something like that he's like hide 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 we're like what the fuck and like dive into the bushes and uh, not on the same trail we were on, but nearby, we hear guys go by, like jabbering in their native language, you know, like just going by. And he's like, Shh, you know, like, hide, hide, hide. And we're like sitting there quietly, like hiding in this bush. There's there's four of us, me, my buddy Mike, my buddy Nick, and this guy Fausto. And we're like tucked in a ball under some like big leaves, hiding. And we, we sit there and like the voices have been gone for like 30 minutes. I'm like, and he's like, Shh. You know, and we wait. So we spend like 30 minutes sitting tucked in this bush. Not, we didn't even see the people, but close enough that we heard them. And then it ends and we're like, Fausto, why did we do that? And then he's like, oh, they're from the other tribe. And we're like, okay. And he's like, oh, they would have killed me because I'm not from their tribe if I'm here. He's like, they would have just, and they might've killed you guys too. So we have to hide while we're here. And I was like, Jesus Christ, dude, like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, it's just the way it is in this, in this area. Like, it's like, I don't usually come here, but if they're here and I'm here, it's bad. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, Paul was explaining the stories of how those guys kill any white people they find. Like, they will they have these crazy 10-foot arrows. They'll just shoot They'll shoot at you and kill you. The like, uncontacted tribes? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're scary to them. I mean, Seminole Island. Is it Seminole? Is that what it's called? There's that island. North Sentinel Island? Sentinel. Sentinel mm-hmm. Island, yeah. That has that same sort of thing. Uh, Papua New Guinea, I saw two different people get hacked up by machetes while we were there. Like, it's just... You saw people get hacked up by Oh, them? yeah. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Uh, so two different times. Um, the the first one was gnarly, so I'll probably just tell that story. But basically, we're in Port Moresby. Port Moresby is the capital of Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. It's a melting pot, okay? Papua New Guinea has 800 languages spoken. The reason there's 800 languages spoken in one country is because these are tribes that don't like to intermix. They're geographically isolated, 
and they're like little cliques. Port Moresby, the capital, is a melting pot for all of these tribes to come together, right? It's like a, a western city that was built. And uh, because of that, you have 800-ish groups of people that all hate each other. Okay, I'm generalizing here, but okay. they roll around in these little cliques. It's like, a, it's like a middle school, you know? You like have all these little cliques of people walking around. It's because he's from this tribe, and he's from that tribe, and he's from this tribe. It's all men that you see walking around the streets. And uh, they're all carrying machetes in a capital city. And when we were there... Uh, day three, we went to this area where they're like, you shouldn't film here, you shouldn't film here, whatever. And we're like, oh, I, I want to meet the children. I want to talk to the fishermen. It's like, fine. And so we're filming there, and our giant Australian security guard named Clint, he's like six foot nine, like shoulders out. To, it like, looks like bigger than any NFL linebacker you've ever seen. He's just a monster. And uh, he like, comes running over. He's like, get in the car, get in the car. There's a problem. So we get in, the, get in the bus, and he's like clearing traffic and moving us out. And we pull up to like this market area, and you just see basically two groups of people like screaming at each other. And one guy like pulls his machete out like this, and the other guy pulls his machete out like this, and they just boom, clash like this. There's a wall of people all around it, right? There's like hundreds of people in this market. And you just see like machetes flying, blah, blah, blah. And then we're stuck in traffic. It has nothing to do with us. They don't want anything to do with us. They don't want to hurt us, whatever. This is a tribal thing, click thing in the city. All these people around, whatever. Cops come, people, people disperse. We're just like stuck in traffic watching this for like an hour. People disperse, and uh, there's just bodies laying on the ground. And, and then it's just like, and it's just back to normal. Like the police are there. They're kind of looking, talking to each other, like writing on a notepad. People are like stepping over the bodies and going back to like buying a leaf of lettuce. Mm, it's just yeah. like, and that's their culture. It's just like, that's the way things are there. That's so wild. <laughs> it's bro. crazy. Sorry to interrupt, but this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Verso. We all know how important it is to get the right amount of nutrition, exercise, and sleep as we age. It's something I'm really passionate about and have discussed at length with doctors and nutritional scientists on this podcast. That is why I use Verso. Verso is a company dedicated into translating scientific breakthroughs into products that hold the potential to increase longevity. I take cell being every day to help combat aging by increasing my NAD levels with powerful ingredients such as NMN, transresveratrol, and TMG. NAD plus is arguably one of the most powerful molecules in the body, but declines with age. Keeping NAD plus levels high helps guide longevity genes called sirtuins. Sirtuins are called longevity genes because by activating them, they support overall health and slow down aging related effects by regulating important processes inside of cells. High NAD plus levels can improve your metabolism, repair damaged DNA, and ramp up energy production in your brain, immune system, and muscles. Now you can't take NAD plus as a supplement because it's too big for the cells to absorb. But NMN directly converts to NAD plus, while resveratrol activates your sirtuins, which increases their attraction for NAD. These two molecules act synergistically and increase your NAD plus more than just NMN on its own. Verso also publishes third-party testing from each batch produced to absolutely guarantee you're getting what you pay for. Head on over to ver.so and use the coupon code DANNY, it's spelled D-A-N-N-Y, to save 15% off your entire order or just go to ver.so forward slash DANNY. Back to the show. Another thing that shocked me that I didn't know about the Amazon was how the all the trees are basically just sitting on the ground. Their roots don't go deep into no, the ground because the, the, I guess the earth that's directly underneath the topsoil is like super dense clay, mm -hmm. like from the bottom of the Atlantic, from when the two continents split, from when Africa split from South America. And extremely low nutrient value as well. Mm. Yeah, all the nutrients are in the very, very thin topsoil is my understanding. Right. Um, yeah, I mean the the Amazon is known as a shallow forest. Like it just doesn't it doesn't penetrate deep. And trees fall over, you know, you see it when you're down there. Like huge huge trees 
will just be toppled over with their you know their root base will be 25 30 feet over your head because right. they don't go deep they go they go flat they just spread way and then, out yeah and then the tree tips over windstorm lightning age whatever and you just see these these massive down trees and they pull down like a bunch of trees with them which is a good thing for the forest because it opens up a bunch of light gives new photosynthesis to the area rejuvenates that area the nutrients from that big dead tree go back into the system uh, all that energy is returned to the system mm. you know it's not good for that tree it's not good for the the population of birds that was living in the tree but on a whole it's very good for the for the jungle right have you heard the theory that the amazon was man-made i have and i i talked about it on a podcast pretty recently i got i got torn to shreds um, really <laughs> yeah I've, i i forget if it was rogan or if it was my own podcast something but i read the comments and a bunch of people put a bunch of literature in there that i ended up reading about half of it go saying that it's bullshit the end of the day it's theory like mm. it seems like the amazon has giant pieces of cultivated jungle mm -hmm. like where and this is my newer understanding by the way so people can rip me to shreds again and then i can learn more which is a very useful way to do this yes but um the commenters always know everything that's great that's great um and no and nobody's mean on the internet no. um my understanding is there are giant very large sections of the jungle that are cultivated meaning fruits and uh, vegetables and things like that were planted in these areas uh, because, as we're now learning, there were very large civilizations in the Amazon jungle that have, you know, since collapsed. Right. Um, now, what I, I think I made the, the wrongful statement at some point on one of these shows going, hey, the, have you heard that the whole Amazon jungle is like a cultivated jungle? It's like a planted jungle. That's obviously not the case. There's areas of cultivation, area where human have inadvertently or directly planted and changed the ecosystem but it seems like there are large swaths of the jungle that look to the naked eye just like wild jungle that are very, very cultivated many generations ago and then other areas that are completely untouched, which right. is very logical if you think about it. Big yeah. civilization used to plant things nearby. Civilization collapsed. All those things stayed there. It all gets overgrown. It all looks wild. Other areas, no civilization untouched. Mm. Logical. Yeah, I guess one of uh, Graham Hancock's biggest arguments for that was the Brazil nut tree. He said the Brazil nut tree was cultivated, I think was the word he used. What yeah. was the word he used? He said it was domesticated. He said there was domesticated Brazil nut trees in the area, uh, the areas of Terra Preta. Mm -hmm. But the Brazil nut, what Paul was saying is the Brazil nut tree is not a domesticated species. The, the Brazil nut tree is like a native original species to the Amazon. It's not like a golden retriever was domesticated <laughs> right. from wolves or right, whatever they right, bred right, it with. Right. It's, it's original. It's like a native plant there, or the tree. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounds you know it, Paul was going off, and he said he said the problem with that with, with the that, theory with the theory yeah. is that it may it's like okay if we made the Amazon if it's our garden then we can do whatever we please with it. Well, that is the problem, and that's the same problem that I face with what I do with animals on the edge of extinction. You know, it's it's funny. Similarly to Paul and and that theory and his thing with the snake and everything else. When I first set out to look for animals that were deemed to be extinct, which is what I became most notable for, um, I was like, this will be such a good thing. If we find them, it'll save them. And the, the one dark shadow to that that I've realized that I never anticipated is that exact mentality. It's like you find an extinct animal and then you have all these loons going, well, extinction isn't really a problem. Animals never go extinct. They're just hiding. And I've tried so many times to quell that by saying, hey, extinction is a major problem. That's why we talk about it. That's why it's on these shows. That's why the shows are about the journey and not the destination. Um, and 
99.99% of the time, you cannot combat extinction. You cannot fix extinction. Extinction means gone. It means eradicated. It doesn't mean hiding in a bush or under a tree. This is about human errors. And it's the same thing. It's people being like, oh, if it's not really extinct, scientists don't know what they're talking about. It's just hiding. It's like, no, it's just a mistake here and, here and there. And that's the problem with any of these things. But at the end of the day, you have to do what you think is right. You have to do what you think is going to impact the most people, whether that's talking about Brazil nuts, whether that's talking about lost species. You know, I think the good outweighs the bad. Mm. So like like finding some of these in, er, like closely endangered species or species that are believed to be extinct, um, what has been done to like, hasn't there been shit done in science to try to like use CRISPR and some of this gene editing technology to bring back some of these things like the woolly mammoth and the yeah so I work with that company Colossal Colossal Biosciences is the tech company that is uh, using gene editing to bring back extinct animals and they just had a great announcement yeah here you go this is them this is them they're awesome dude it's such a cool company Ben Lamb, the CEO, has become a close personal friend, um, all because I reached out and researched what they were doing and believe in it. It's radical conservation. De-extinction is a radical idea. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, so one big thing that they just announced, you might see it on on their Instagram or maybe on, on I think it was posted by Nat Geo as well. There's only two northern white rhinos left in the world, and they are functionally extinct, meaning they're not coming back. There's no way to reproduce them. They're not there until Colossal stepped in and go and went, hey, hold my beer, right? And now Colossal is going to go and do the genetic genomics work to save the northern white rhino. That's pretty incredible, right? To go and take samples from existing animals, build embryos, impregnate them, so on and so forth, and save a species that's down to two individuals. That's pretty big. So what have they actually done? Like to, to well, that's, bring their, back more that's their big thing right now. So they just announced a few days ago. I oh, actually, okay, okay. I actually haven't been to the facility since that announcement. So I actually okay. need to talk to them and figure out what their methodology is. Mm -hmm. I'm on their conservation advisory board. Okay. So I'm talking to them about how to manage the species because mm. that's my background. So where are these animals going? What impacts are they going to have? How long are they going to be there for? That's kind of the, the work that I'm doing with them is conservation advising. What Colossal's doing with the mammoths is they're taking Indian elephant DNA, which is like, I think it's like 99.6% related to a woolly mammoth. And they are, through their various processes of gene editing, which I'm not going to try and explain <laughs> or pretend to understand, uh, turning that into a long-haired, long-tusked, cold adaptive, here's the process, Whoa. woolly mammoth. You know, and then, I mean, they have these crazy machines. It's a huge company. It's incredible what they're doing. And the reason being, and this is why it's important, is by putting mammoths back in the Arctic tundra, and here's you know here are the genes they're editing for and everything else. It's mm. way beyond my comprehension. They do a fantastic job of communicating it, but um, by putting these mammoths back in the environment, it is going to slow down the melting of the permafrost and slow down the release of carbon emissions, which is a huge, huge thing. Look, and also look at that. Look at That's that a cartoon one, mammoth. but look at that thing. It's adorable. <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> no, they're they're doing amazing things, and they're they're going to succeed. So I, they want to put them in like Siberia and populate Siberia with the mammoths, and and that will somehow slow the melting of the permafrost. Correct. So, um, couple things there. So it, it was going to be in like Siberia and Russia, but there's too much conflict in Russia at the moment. Uh, so I think now it's going to, it's all going to, this is not happening next week, right? This is a long, slow process to do it properly. And uh, it's going to begin to take place in Alaska. 
and they are going to be putting these mammoths back. The mammoths do, there's basically four or five processes, but to try and sum it up as concisely as possible, the mammoths break through, you know when snow falls, and well, you don't because you're from Florida, but you know when snow... I've seen snow once. <laughs> when snow falls, you get like a nice snowpack. Like imagine an igloo, right? Mm-hmm. Eskimos made igloos to stay warm, believe it or not. So right. that's because it creates an insulating layer from the ground. Right. Once you crush that and break it, that insulating layer goes away. That pulling out trees because there's too many trees in the Arctic now since mammoths went away. The Arctic used to be more like grasslands. Um, and a few other processes lead to a substantially slower melting of the permafrost, which keeps all the carbon from dead grasses and trees that are trapped under that ice, trapped under that ice. So you have much less carbon emission offset, or not offset, but less, much less carbon emission release. Um, so that offsets that, and that slows slows down how much CO2 is going into the atmosphere, which of course slows down the warming uh, within, within the, uh, the ozone. So it's pretty cool. Okay, so the, basically when, when it was lush and when there was big trees and stuff, that would heat it up. Correct, yeah. And so most people don't know this, but the Arctic used to be like sub-Saharan Africa, big grasslands. It used to be freezing cold grasslands that were filled with megafauna. But as human beings came over here and settled it, these megafauna had never seen humans before. They weren't scared of them. And most of that megafauna got driven to extinction. Mm-hmm. So when all that megafauna went away, and this is like big sweeping generalizations, but you can sort of, anybody can do the reading and figure it out. When all that megafauna went away, there was nothing to eat the baby trees and the baby this and that. And so forests spread, like mm. big, big groves of trees spread. And now that makes big trees, lots of sunlight. It made this like warming environment because right. the grasslands went away and made a forest. Now, as those forests get knocked, when you have mammoths there, the mammoths knock down those trees and and then everything else can graze them and everything else. But with no mammoths, there's nothing to knock down the trees. So when you put the mammoths back, it knocks down the trees, it crushes the insulating ice and snow layer, uh, and it does a few other things that all collectively, and this is all studied, it's all on Colossal's website, it collectively will cool down the Arctic up to six degrees, which is a lot of degrees. Do you know where they found these dead mammoths remains? Uh, all over the place, I think. I mean, a lot in North America, right? Oh yeah, we found uh, yesterday when we were fossil hunting. We found a whole bunch of it. Really? So all the all of the elephant remains, all the pachyderm remains, had to go to the museum. So we found twenty four species yesterday here in Florida in a creek. Okay, and I grabbed you those two. I kept a couple for myself, but um, everything else went to the museum. And part of what we found yesterday, uh, we I found a little piece of ivory like fossilized tusk. Uh, one of my buddies found like a skull cap from a mammoth. We found mandibles from a mammoth. We found teeth from a, like a bunch of mammoth teeth, actually. And all the pachyderm stuff ha- went to the museum. So we're trying to give all the stuff we found away. Right. You're allowed to keep those things. But, you know, anything that we thought was scientifically valuable, we gave to the museum mm. yesterday. But anyway, that doesn't really answer your question. But <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Mammoths were, were all over the place. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I just had a, uh, a guy on here who was talking about some of like the, the ancient cataclysms that basically ended the Pleistocene. And uh-huh. he was saying how like some of the biggest uh, megafauna on Earth were in North America. And the reason that they all died instantly was because of some sort of cosmic airburst from a comet impact. Um, there's that- a, I think there's, I mean, he knows more than I do, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of theories on why that happened. But resoundingly, humans had an impact on it. Um, and yeah, in the America, North America during the Pleistocene had more big animals than Africa does today. 
That's fucking Gi nuts. Giant sloths, armadillos that you would hang, live under their shell. Like, because they were so big, they'd make, like, an igloo. Oh uh, huge God. camels, wild horses like you got there, mammoths, bears. I mean, this thing called a hell pig. Ever heard of a hell pig? No. Oh, that's the scariest thing you've ever seen. Crazy animals. Scarier than a terror bird? Oh, yeah. Look up a hell pig. Like, oh my take God. a look at this thing. Um, yeah, look at these things. Whoa, dude. Yeah, and they were... Uh, what the fuck? That's a pig. And it was a carnivorous pig, by the way. Pull up that picture, the the one next to the, the life-size, the modern pig, like three up. No, that's a cave bear. So that's a wild boar. And you know wild boar today kill people. Like, there right. can be problems with wild boar. That's a wild boar size comparison to a hell pig like look at that jesus yeah bro. that's a scary animal <laughs> uh i don't think one of those tridents is going to save you from one of those hell no pigs. sorry manny but no way <laughs> <laughs> no those things are crazy um but yeah there's incredible animals here and you know colossal's not going jurassic park on it and just bringing back anything nuts for the fun of it they're they're bringing back oh, animals God. that have important conservation implications and will fix environmental damage that terror bird, man, that thing freaked me the fuck out. Crazy thing. Running into a giant 16-foot chicken that no. eats meat. No, thank you. No. God damn. There, have you seen the new uh, Apple series, Prehistoric Planet? No. Dude, it's fantastic. And I saw, I think, Netflix or somebody's coming out with a competitor pretty soon, too. But there's this new show called Prehistoric Planet. It's like Blue Planet or Planet Earth, mm -hmm. but all with the best CGI you've ever seen. Like, natural history of dinosaurs and terror birds and... It's awesome. It's really worth a watch. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, because like going back to that, how like they got how they got wiped out in North America. It's like you don't see any of these big animals in North America, but you see huge animals in Africa. Right. Like you guys still have lions and elephants and all that stuff. None of that's in North America. And the resounding theory behind that is Africa is the dawn of of mankind. Mm -hmm. Right. Like humans crawled out and did not metaphorically crawled out of the primordial soup alongside these animals they evolved alongside these animals in africa so in africa big animals and all animals have always had a fear of human beings okay always so when you see a lion when you see an elephant when you see an impala or a kudu or a giraffe they run away from people for the most part you know not an elephant they're not scared of people but those animals co-evolved with human beings human beings being as resourceful of a creature as they are spread out around the planet and in doing so when they got to north america here were all these critters that weren't at all scared of them right so now if you wanted a mammoth you walked up to a mammoth and chucked a spear in its head or you know if you wanted a wild horse you threw a rope around its neck oh wow and so the reason being the animals in North America, and the resources were so incredible in all these other places too, but the animals in all these other pockets in the world were not used to human pressure. So when they got there, humans wiped them out really quickly because it was really easy to do so. Going back to the guy who wants to feed his family a rhino, right? Like, this was survival. This wasn't a pleasant thing to do. Right. <clears throat> and so they just wiped out a lot of this megafauna. Some of it was dying out for other reasons, of course. Whereas in Africa, all those animals were always like, no, no, stay away from people. Like, we've known these as long as we live. So, mm. you know, that's kind of the prevailing theory as to why that happened. Right, right. What is the craziest, most remote place you've ever traveled to? Hmm. And, like, stayed in for a while, like, no technology? Oh, uh, that would be the Colombian, Colombian Amazon. The yeah. Colombian Amazon. Yeah, so the FARC rebels controlled the Colombian Amazon. Uh, until like two years ago and then there was a peace agreement which isn't very peaceful and uh, we so we flew into uh, 
Bogota and then drove three hours to some strip and then hired, get this, hired an airplane that was a cargo carrier from World War II. And if you're asking why a cargo carrier would be charterable into the middle of a remote strip in the Amazon, you guessed it. They're, they were running booger sugar and uh, got on this crazy, crazy World War II cargo plane landed on this dirt strip in the middle of the Amazon that was controlled by FARC rebels, again, where white people hadn't been in 30 years, Mm. and jumped out of that plane, hung out with a village there and a crazy shaman who made me, like, snuff stuff and snort stuff. And it wasn't cocaine, by the way. It was, like, crazy jungle stuff. And I threw up everywhere, had this cleansing ceremony. It was wild. Then got in a canoe and went three days up a tributary from there and then set up camp for two weeks up there in FARC rebel-controlled jungle where... Literally, the guy driving our canoe, we were talking to him through the translator. And I was like, what's it like now that the FARC rebels are, are gone? And blah, blah. He's like, oh, it's fine. Everything's pretty much the same. I was like, oh, did you have any encounters with them? He's like, well, no, I was FARC. And I was like, oh, really? And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, oh, it means if you had come like a couple, like two, 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 three months ago, we would have killed you. But now it's okay. <laughs> we're like, cool. <laughs> it's crazy. It was super, wow, super wild. Dude. But I think that was the most remote. Like there was absolutely zero sign of human impact of any kind like just none not a piece of plastic not a cut down tree nothing you know just because the conflict that had happened in that area for so long had kept people out of it you know because of the guerrilla warfare that was taking Mm. place and because of it the environment was pristine and it was fantastic and if you get like injured or like bit by a snake or anything you're absolutely fucked right Ah, you're done i mean we had a medic with us uh, you know, and he treated some stuff. Like I cut myself pretty badly. Uh, we had some gnarly, gnarly stings from these parasitic wasps. Um, uh, my one buddy went into anaphylactic shock. My other buddy got stung literally up the cargo shorts. Like, you know, so we, we had treatment, uh, because we had our medic with us, EpiPens and stuff like that. But a bad injury, you're done. There, we're, we're hundreds, you know, not well, we're, I mean, we're, hundreds of hours into this remote area, but we're days from a helicopter getting there. Right. You know, there's just no, there's no evacuation. Yeah. Yeah. But you did you guys have like a sat phone or anything with you? Yeah, I think so. But it wouldn't have done there's any There's no good. point in having one, right? You could have it, and right. th- that way they can recover your dead body, but, <laughs> you know, like it would take them three days to get there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like, like you get an arrow through the belly, what are you going to do with your sat phone? Exactly. Hey, mom, like... You're exactly. Done. There's nothing. There's no helicopters. There's no hospitals. There's no ambulance. People seem to forget this. Like you can call an airlift service or whatever. And they're like, where are you? And then they look at their range in a helicopter fuel tank. They're like, okay, you're five tanks of fuel away from where we can reach. Like there's mm. no way we can ever get there. Right. So it's like, great. You know, see you in, see you in three days. Like right. we're way out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about the Galapagos? Been there, done that. That's uh, one thing I don't know a lot about. I was hoping you could teach me a little bit about the Galapagos. With pleasure. I mean, it's it's the foundation of the theory of evolution, you know, due to Charles Darwin going there and learning about the finches and their different beaks and mm-hmm. the tortoises and their different necks. And uh, we went there to find a really rare tortoise, which we succeeded in finding. And um, it was, it's phenomenal. Another place similar to what we were just discussing, animals have no fear of humans. They've, in evolutionary time, humans have been there for such a short period of time, and for the most part, other than the early days, protect, not harm the animals, no fear of humans. I mean, you can walk from me to you to a rock pile of marine iguanas that just sit there. They look like little dinosaurs, like shooting salt water out their noses, big 
uh, fur seals, Galapagos fur seals. The little pups will run up to you and like put their little flippers on your feet and be like, "What are you?" It's amazing. Yeah. How long does it take no to get there? Fear. Uh, it's not. It's not very long to get there. You can fly. Boat or plane? Plane. Plane. Okay. Yeah. You could boat. That would be brutal. <clears throat> People do it. Um, How many but, miles offshore is it? <clears throat> I want to say three hundred, but I'm not sure. Oh, but it's wow. out there. Holy but fuck. but once you get there, it's legit. Like it's a real. It's like going to Hawaii or something, right? Like right. there is some islands are completely uninhabited. Nobody goes on them, like Fernandina, where we went, and then like where we had our big party and stuff when we found our tortoise uh, in Isla Santa Cruz. Great town, beautiful hotels, great food, great live music. We went karaokeing until five in the morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know they had a parade the next day. Like it was wild. Um, so it's all there, but yeah, from a from an evolutionary and biological standpoint, it's it's a pretty significant place. I mean, it, it has all these islands, all these animals that somehow spread out to the various islands. Yeah, so there it is. I, I forget how many miles offshore it is. Oh, that's way out there. Yeah, it's way out there. That's, yeah, that's got to be more than three hundred miles. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I probably should know. Thirteen major islands. Blah blah blah. Six smaller islands. Yeah, and so of all these islands, of these 13 major and six smaller islands, mm -hmm. each island has its own endemic species, meaning animals that exist on those islands and nowhere else. Not Really? Even on, yeah, and this is where the theory of evolution comes from because you can literally see the next island two miles away, but these, these tortoises, which can't swim, can't cross that barrier. So on one island, I'll simplify it, on one island, there's a tortoise that always wants to eat cactus fruit. This is the very highest part of the cactus. So over millions of years, every tortoise that has a long neck breeds with another tortoise that has a long 600 miles west of the Ecuador. Okay, okay. Every tortoise that has a long neck mates with every other tortoise that have a, has a long neck. And over evolutionary time, you have a tortoises that have giraffe-like necks. Okay? But on the very next island that's, that's two miles away that you can see where those tortoises can never meet each other, they like to eat grass. So the tortoises get shorter and shorter necks lower and lower legs and they get smaller and smaller and so just in a two mile span you have two animals that are very very similar but are completely different because they have evolved over evolutionary time for different niches uh to do different things and they look completely different so there's your long neck guy holy right there. shit yeah and then you know actually right there in that next picture on the bottom right is a short neck guy so they can reach the top of a cactus oh yeah oh some of these guys are monsters hey there's my tortoise right there bottom right Oh, no, it's not. Sorry, that's not her. Um, but, yeah, and it's amazing. And the same thing with the finches that Charles Darwin discovered and these incredible animals, blue-footed boobies, those birds you see on the left. Penguins, mm. tropical penguins, Galapagos penguins are super cool. It's an amazing place, man. It's biologically rich. And one thing they've done so well is they've protected the hell out of it. Like, they are so... And this is such a cool thing about uh, Ecuador and... and uh, I don't know if they call themselves Ecuadorians or Galapagans or whatever, but the people that live in the Galapagos, yeah. they are so proud of their islands and they're so proud of their nature and their native resources. And it's really annoying when you're trying to film a TV show or do, do a wildlife show, but you cannot step foot off a trail. You cannot go pet the tortoise. You cannot pick up the lizard. Like You can't do anything unless you have all these crazy permits and permissions from this, the government, which we had for our, our stuff there. But mm. most people, like if they're like, oh, that's not on your permit. Don't even think about it. You know, It's just good. Like That's how it should be. And right. things are immaculate there because of it. Are there any like crazy species of fish or, or sharks or whales or anything out there? Well, you get Galapagos shark there, which are pretty neat. Um, but they're pretty... They're pretty 
uh, well distributed globally. They're okay. They're pretty crazy. I have a video. I promised him I wouldn't share. My buddy getting bitten by one yesterday. I'll show you. By a Galapagos shark. Yeah, but I can't show you on air. He'll kill me. He's like, please don't share this. Really? Like, yeah. Why does he want to? Anyone to see? I don't know. He just doesn't. <laughs> but I promised him I wouldn't. But yeah, he got bit by a Galapagos shark yesterday in uh, French Polynesia, and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there's cool stuff there. There's big whale sharks. There's major schooling hammerheads, thousands and thousands of hammerheads. Um, it's just, it's like, it acts like a fad. You, you know what a fad is? Mm-mm. It's like a fish aggregating device. So like we were saying earlier, the ocean's a desert, right? The big blue ocean's a desert. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you have this little group of islands 600 miles from the nearest landmass. So everything in that desert, it's like an oasis, gets pulled into it, you know? So right. it just, because you have these little beacons... They're incredible. There's another place that I go called Socorro Island, which is 300. That one I know is 300 miles off the coast of Cabo in Baja, Mexico. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's actually called the Revia Hijeros Islands, but nobody can say that or pronounce it. So Socorro is the big island. It's the same thing, man. You dive in Cabo, it's like, it's pretty sick. There's some sharks around. It's pretty. The fishing's good, whatever. You go to Socorro and the revs, and it's like, like... Dude, you're scuba diving in 70 feet of water, and a 300-pound yellowfin swims by you on the reef. I can show you pictures of that. How deep? Like 70 feet deep. You don't even have to be deep. It's just so full of life. I, I've been, I've been there where you're standing on a boat and you're looking out, and you're like, "What are those like things in the ocean? Like, what are those shadows? Is, is there something like in the sky?" And you're like, "No, it's wahoo. It's like 700 wahoo, like 50 to 100 pounds, just like." as far as you can see on the dead still ocean. Oh my Huge mantas God, like coming up and dude. hugging you. Giant Kubera snappers. It's crazy. And it's, it's you're not allowed to fish it, which is a good thing. You're not allowed to. Um, but it's just like, as a spear fisherman, I'm frothing. I'm sitting there <laughs> oh, looking bet, look at these yellow fins swimming right by me. And I'm like, oh my God, it's crazy. And it's the same thing. It's because it's so remote, acts as an aggregation area. It's amazing. Wow, dude. That is nuts. Is there anywhere <laughs> else like the Galapagos or like those islands off of Mexico? Like, because there you're kind of in tropical water, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's so, like, is there any place like that in cold water, like in California or, or anywhere in like cold climates where you see like these crazy wild fucking fish? I think something that's pretty similar in a in a subtropical, like a, a much colder environment is like the, the, uh, Guadalupe Islands off of Mexico mm. where all the big white sharks are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you get a lot of uh, like water mixing there. You know, so you get cold water currents, warm water currents, huge white sharks, a ton of fish. And it's a weird place because if you're not from California, it's kind of hard to picture this. But you can be swimming in a kelp forest, which is what we have in California, and then see like tropical butterfly fish swim through. And you're like, how are these like tropical reef fish swimming through this cold, like green like nor- Northern California feeling water. Mm. And it's it's got all this mixing. Eh, you know, there's others uh, like some of the, some of the uh, Eastern Pacific in particular has the highest species diversity of fish, I think in the world. So you get these little beacons of islands up in, uh, up in Alaska, out in the Atlantic, you know, another place. Um, what's that place that they get all those huge, the Atlanta, the uh, belongs to Portugal. I'm blanking on the name now. Um, there's Portuguese islands way, way offshore. I'm blanking on the name of it now. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. But I think that's like one of those places in the Atlantic that's incredible. Like there are these little isolated pockets that are just on another level for fish. Have you ever swam with orcas? Just recently. Yeah. Really? Just recently. About six, I think it was about six months ago now. Where? Uh, in Baja, Mexico. Uh, in the Bahia de Los Angeles, I was with. Actually, if you want to see it? It's pretty cool. Uh, I might have it on mine, but it's definitely on Mike Nulty's Instagram, Nutty Nulty. And uh, him and he's a good buddy, he's a big whale photographer. 
and he calls calls me up. Um, we're at a, we have this little house down there in this dirt spot in the middle of nowhere, Baja, tiny little town. And he calls me. He's like, "Dude, there's orcas in the bay." I'm like, "How do you know?" He's I think he's the only white guy that lives in this town. I mean, it's a tiny little place. And he's like, dude, there's orcas in the bay. There's orcas in the bay. I'm like, all right, Mike, what do we do? He's like, get the boat ready. So I'm like, getting the boat ready, launching as fast as possible. Mike comes like tearing in down this dirt road, like throws his stuff in, and we cruise out to this area where his fishing buddy calls him and says he's seen orcas. And these are transient uh, orcas, which means they're they're the the tough guys. Like they're the ones that are eating seals and sea lions and mammals and stuff, not not stingrays and fish. Like these are the scary ones, the true sea wolves. So you seem confused. I can explain it's this. Cra- yeah, I've heard this, but I never understood how there's two types of orcas that eat have two different diets. Many types, actually. There's really? fish orcas, there's shark-eating orcas, there's stingray specialists, there's mammal specialists. But there's they- not orcas that, like, that like try all the palates. I mean, maybe, but it's not their like common thing, and it hasn't been observed. And they all speak different languages, what? and they can all communicate, but they can't talk to each other. It's as if you're speaking Spanish and I'm speaking English, like... Two groups of orcas, they might bump into each other, but they don't hang out for long. They speak different languages. They have different dialects. The way they re- the way they mate is different. The way they travel is different. Some will hang out in one area by the beach. Others will be transient, like the ones I swam with, which means they're just constantly moving, like searching and hunting new areas. Crazy. There's a book called uh, Listening to Whales by Alexander Mortensen that explains it all way better than I ever will. Uh, yeah, dude, it's worth a worth a read or worth chatting with her. She's a fascinating woman. Okay. I've, I've never met her. I just I love her book. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really really interesting orca behavior. But anyway, yeah. So my buddy Mike calls me. We run out there. We're cruising. We spend like half an hour on the water. We don't see anything. It's like oh man, this is like well, we missed it. Like what are the odds of running into him anyway? And then you look on the horizon. And you just see this giant black machete cutting through the horizon and it it looks like something out of the meg you know it's just this huge like seven foot tall dorsal fin of this bull orca and we're and mike's like that's it and we like fucking hit the gas and run we don't we don't want to harass them we don't want to change their behavior so we run way up in front of them power down the boat and uh i look at mike he's done this like once or twice before not a lot and I'm like, are we good? He's like, we're good. I'm like, fuck it, let's go. Oh and, my uh, God. and we're gearing up as fast as we can. My son snorkels on, jump in the water. And he's like, kick away from the boat. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, kick away from the boat. I'm like, fuck it. So he's just like, oh it's just him and I. And uh, the boat's like drifting off in the wind slowly. And we're just out in the middle of the Sea of Cortez. And we just swim out like as, as fast as we can. And we get out and you can still see the machete fin is now like getting closer and closer. Like something out of the movie, The Meg. And he's like, wait here, don't move. And I'm just like sitting there. I don't even have a camera. He has a camera to like block. And I'm just sitting here. And uh, like minutes, like four or five minutes pass. And then all of a sudden you start hearing the like, like all their sounds and stuff. And uh, you can't see him yet. And you look out on the horizon. And you see this fin is coming closer and closer. It's so big that it's casting a shadow on the water, this fin. I mean, it's crazy. And then all around us, dude, like eight orcas, a baby, a couple mothers, and this big bull just comes swimming through, checking us out. And that first moment, that first moment when you're in the water with an orca and you feel completely helpless. Like with a shark, we talked about acting like prey and, and them treating you like prey. This is a whole different experience. There is every animal I've ever interacted with, no matter if it's an elephant, a lion, a bull shark, a tiger shark, you have some sense of control. Like you can control the situation a little bit. You can stand up to an elephant. You can stand. You can yell at a, a bear. You can uh, you can charge towards a shark in the water. With an orca, it's like you're a doll. You're just sitting there in the water, and if they want to play with you, 
they're going to mess you up. And there's nothing you can do to slow them down. I mean, they're so precise that they can chop the liver out of a shark with their teeth and just eat the liver. I mean, they're crazy. Anyway, these things come around. They swim with us. And my heart was in my throat, not knowing what to expect. And then all of a sudden, it all got like chill. They kind of just interacted with us. And we did that like three or more, three or four more times that day. And it was unreal. They were just swimming around you? Yeah, they come check us out. The mom... Uh, didn't want to bring her baby into us for understandable reasons. And I think the bull kind of came in first, be like, what is this? You know? And then he was like, ah, oh, these are just like big pink fleshy meat bags are useless. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other ones would like come and check us out. And they, they usually like come in, see us and dive down and then you wouldn't see them again. And then all of a sudden they'd turn around and come back and like check you out once or twice and then move again. What was the water visibility? Like 30 feet. Oh, wow. Not, not good. That's 30 why. feet's not terrible though no but you want to be in like a hundred plus with orcas it's you know it was it was spooky manny was saying when he was in alaska when they were filming for jackass that uh-huh. they did the same thing he's like drive the boat out in front of him drive yeah, the boat yeah. out in front of him They're like what yeah. just do it and then he just jumped off by himself and got in front of the orcas and he said the visibility was like six inches oh geez well he didn't see him then did he he said he's well he saw their dorsal fins coming and then like yeah. when they were like whatever 50 yards in front of them they kind of sounded uh-huh. and then they kind of like came up and he didn't see the he saw the eye go right past him like oh wild like this far away from him wild yeah i don't, I don't want to do that in six inches of visibility 30 feet was was wicked enough like it's crazy so what kind of orca would be in alaska versus what the kind of orcas that you saw that were the migrating ones uh, both both. So Alaska, I believe, has the highest density of orcas in the world. It might be Washington, Canada. I don't know. But there's a ton of a lot of orcas up there. And there's, I believe, all different varieties. Like there's some that specialize in eating salmon and fish and hang out by river mouths. There's transients that hang out offshore and hunt tuna and stuff. There's ones that come in and hunt seals and sea lions. I think maybe even walrus. Like there's just a lot of them up there. So but why are the ones that the, why are the transient ones considered more dangerous? Uh, because they're not predictable, basically. So you can predict that the salmon-eating orcas are going to hang out by the river mouth and eat salmon. Ah. You can predict that the stingray-eating orcas are going to go smack a stingray with their tail and eat the stingray. The transients are, they're like a more wild, they're like a biker gang compared to these other like home dwellers, you know? They're just right. they're cruising the roads, and you don't know what they're going to do, and you don't know what their diet preference is, you don't know what they're doing, like, it's just, you just don't know, but... And I don't want to paint them in a scary light here. An orca has never killed a human being in the wild ever that we're aware of. There's no documents of an orca killing a human being in the wild. So when you think about that compared to, you know, how many bugs have killed people, how many deer have killed people, you know, how many little snakes have killed people, like they, they're really intelligent animals. Like they're, they're making that choice to not do that. Mm. Yeah, they only kill people when they're in captivity, right? Correct. <laughs> they, they, they've drowned people. Yeah, well, they're miserable. They're sitting in a pen, you know, swimming in circles their whole lives, uh, probably incredibly cranky and angry. You know, it's you like see a, that one in Miami just died like yeah. a week ago, two weeks ago. Lolita. In, Lolita, yeah. She's been in there for God knows how long. What was it, like 50 40, years? 40, 50 years. Same amount insane. of time. Yeah, that's sad. And, they were, and apparently they were gearing up for her release, too. Like, I think her release was like a year away. And they were, that was going to be like the last orca in captivity for them. And they were going to put her back where they caught her. You know Richard O'Berry? I don't know. He's the guy who did the uh, the documentary The Cove in Japan. Oh, yeah. I know the documentary. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. He's like this crazy fucking like he, he 
goes all around the world and he like sneaks into aquariums and like steals the dolphins and the whales <laughs> and like releases them into the wild. He's in Indonesia right now, like doing that, working on that. Yeah. So wow. he basically, he like, he steals the dolphins and shit from the aquariums in the middle of the night. And then he has his own little like place uh, on the beach. That's like kind of like fenced off or like uh -huh. netted off where he kind of like rehabilitates them and then like gears them up for like to release mm -hmm. back into the wild. But, um, but yeah. I have mixed feelings on that. Like, really? Well, I don't know how he does it. I don't want to comment on him specifically, but like... He's like a vigilante. But that's the thing. And it's like, that's a form of like eco-terrorism, right? Because you're like breaking in. But it's also really cool and like very respectable when it's something like a dolphin, mm -hmm. you know, or a whale that's like sentient and intelligent. It's another thing if you're just like... Like the, like the flip side of that coin is, this is a real story. Um, the same exact thing with PETA groups they'd break into like the red lobster or the, the the grocery store that has a bunch of lobster in the tank and because they're do-gooders who don't haven't done the appropriate research they're breaking into the grocery store stealing a bunch of Maine lobster and dumping it in a bay in California to set it free to let it live and now they've just introduced an invasive species into southern California by trying to do good you know what i mean mm. who wins in that situation the people don't win because their label is eco-terrorists. Grocery stores and shit don't win because they're getting robbed and bad PR. No, the lobster don't win because they're now an invasive problem. Like maybe maybe five lobster have a better life instead of ending up in a soup pot. But now there's a whole giant problem, and there hasn't this hasn't become a giant problem, but they have been caught in Southern California with Maine lobster being introduced. Like really? Yeah, my buddy caught one in the uh, Oceanside. Crazy, yeah, dude. I know. I've never heard of people robbing grocery stores and trying to free the main lobster or <laughs> red lobsters even. That's yeah. fucking b bananas. Dude. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> but the fucking dolphin, that's a different thing, man. Of course. What they do what, what they do in Japan every year. I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but I imagine they still are. Like how they go out there and they basically call all the dolphin into the cove and they net it off and they fucking spear them to death. And they steal the bottle the bottlenose ones, they'll sell them off for like two hundred and fifty grand to an yeah. aquarium or the highest bidder. It's awful absolutely awful yeah man. we we filmed the grind which is where they do the same thing with pilot whales they don't they don't save them for the pet trade they just just kill them and uh they film they killed i think it was 85 pilot whales in front of us and i was a mess like i couldn't listening to the sounds of the pilot whales oh, screaming being God. tortured the sea literally turned red with blood like in the cove mm -hmm. it's an insane insane thing to see um and uh yeah i mean it's it's barbaric. I don't. I don't get it. To me, that's the same thing as the elephant thing we were talking about earlier. It's like, well, those guys aren't starving. Right? No, no, no. I was talking about the choosing to kill a big oh, elephant. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Right, it's right, like right. I don't <clears throat> get it. They're not starving. They don't need it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I don't know how any human with a conscious can with a conscious can be like, yeah, I'm going to go out and murder a dolphin today or murder an elephant today. I just, I personally cannot connect with it at all. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. And yeah. The, but the orca thing is fucking crazy to me. Like, the fact that you guys jumped in the water, got off the boat, and just <laughs> let the boat flip, sw fucking drift away while you guys were getting surrounded by orcas. It was pretty wild. It was really cool. I'd love to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. And there are places, like, people go to Norway and New Zealand specifically to dive with orcas in clear water and stuff, and those are specialized salmon or stingray-eating orcas and stuff. This is just, like, wild. You know, this is, like, wild orcas. Don't know what they're going to do. Middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Jump in, see what happens and it was uh it was i live for those kind of moments like uh, you know i don't i don't consider myself an adrenaline junkie but the adrenaline i get out of that 
fuels me to do so much more of it. Dude, there's <laughs> no no way to get that much adrenaline other no. than that. I can't imagine. No, it's amazing. Have Super you seen the cool. stories of uh, the the orcas out in the Atlantic ripping the motors off of boats or like yeah. ripping the props off of the boats like yeah. in groups? Yeah. Like orchestrated, premeditated? Mm-hmm. And there's two trains of thought behind the research going into that. One is that it's malicious and these orcas are actually attacking people, which I think is becoming less and less to be considered the reality and the other is that this is a game for them like it's like it's like a cat chasing a, a toy you know mm. it's like these orcas are teaching their offspring and everything else hey here's like a fun silly thing to do to entertain ourselves mm. um and who knows you know the line could be somewhere in the middle but yeah there's a there's sort of there's a lot of research going into it because it's behavior that just sprung up you know three four months ago for the first time ever like it's never happened before as far as we know and all of a sudden two orcas are like hey let's fuck with this boat <laughs> This is a video of it. Oh, oh yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, look at that. Now I'll tell you what, I wouldn't get in with that orca. No. What do you? Oh, what was that? Piece of the boat. It's the rudder. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, pulled the rudder off. We lost off. both rudders. Look at that. And see, that looks like he's playing with it. That doesn't look like aggression to me. Yeah, no, he doesn't look mean. You know. Like, that's not something out of Jaws where then he's just, like, hammering the boat trying to rip it to shreds. Right. It's like, oh, this is a fun thing to play mm -hmm. with. But the, who knows? So the orca, the orca population, that's not, in like, threatened, is it? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I know at one time their numbers were dropping because of places like SeaWorld and things like that for captivity, mm -hmm. and they were being hunted for that. And um, when they're being hunted for that, one thing that's often not shared is that only like one in 10 would survive. So they'd catch like 10 baby orcas, rip them away from their mothers, and uh, and like one in 10 would actually survive in the tank. So they had to catch a lot more orcas than you saw in captivity. Mm -hmm. And because these are such emotionally intelligent animals and they have so much thought and, and love and everything else, there was even an instance pretty recently where a mother orca lost her calf and went pretty much clinically insane and went and killed a mother, I want to say gray whale, might have been a humpback whale, and stole her baby to raise it. Because she, imagine a mother that lost her own, like a human mother that lost her child and went insane over it and went and stole someone else's child, which we've all read about. Those mm -hmm. things actually happen. Yeah. This happened in the orca world and was documented not long ago, maybe a year ago. Um, but that just shows their level of emotional intelligence. You know, you 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 kill, you kill, a, kill a rat's nest with all those babies, that mama rat might care, but she's back to having more rat babies mm -hmm. six weeks later. You know, you kill an orca baby, it drives the mother clinically insane. And she has to, like, you know, cope with that. So it's pretty crazy. Dude, I, it's, it really boggles my mind sometimes, like, when I'm at, like, a, like a holiday f dinner with, like, f like distant relatives. And they're all like, hey, guys, we should go to SeaWorld this weekend. Like, yeah. I got season tickets. <laughs> we can go see the orcas. I'm like, do you live under a fucking rock? Yeah, dude. I'm like, how the fuck do people not know about this shit? It's changing, though. Like, things like this, having conversations like this on your show and yeah. documentaries like The Cove. The, those it, Things are changing, you no, I think that's all changing, and for the most part, for the better. Mm. What were you doing in, uh, what's it called, Myanmar? Myanmar? Myanmar. Yeah. yeah. Where is that, and what were you doing there? Southeast Asia, formerly Burma. Um, okay. We, uh, we went there to do a show on the Ramri Massacre. Have you ever heard of that? No. The Ramri Massacre is the largest killing of humans by animals in a single event in history. What? And, yeah, it's pretty crazy. What happened was... Uh, the the 
um, Japanese held Ramry Island in Myanmar during World War II. And they stayed there, killing all the deer, eating all the resources. And around that island was a whole ton of big saltwater crocodiles, right? And those crocodiles went dormant. They went into a state called torpa, which is where crocodiles basically shut everything off and hibernate because there's not enough food. There's nothing to do. So they just kind of shut their shut down their metabolism and sleep. Wow. Okay. So now you've got an island with a thousand Japanese soldiers on it, surrounded by sleeping crocodiles that are starving because all the food's gone from it. That's the, that's to paint the picture. One night, World War II, allies come in. The British hit the ground. There's tons of them. And the Japanese soldiers that held Ramry Island scatter into the swamp to get away from the Allies from certain death. In that night, I think it was over the course of two days, a thousand Japanese soldiers were eaten by crocodiles. So imagine running through the swamp as the Allies are shooting at you from behind, and you're just hearing these screams and cries and snaps of giant crocodile jaws as they're uh, decimating a thousand Japanese soldiers running through the swamp. Um, so we went there to learn if that was like a real thing or not. You know, it's, it's like pretty well documented, but we went there to investigate it, try and find some of those crocodiles because mm-hmm. World War II was not that long ago. And because mm-hmm. of the life expectancy of crocodiles, many of those crocodiles would still be alive today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we went there to catch crocs, take DNA, like learn from them. And uh, it was pretty wild. Like it was a couple days up a river hanging out in uh, stilted like camp at the island we saw we saw a boy well we didn't see him but we were in the village when a boy came in that had just been attacked by a crocodile ripped to shreds arm was broken in like 30 plus places completely shredded uh we quickly built a a stretcher out of bamboo and a hammock and stopped the bleeding he lost the arm but the kid lived we sent him to the hospital in our speedboat um which was like a day away and uh yeah so crazy and then caught this giant giant crocodile that we called white nose and the reason we called him white nose this was andrew Yukels again by the way oh really yeah uh, he caught the croc and the reason he caught white nose or the reason we called him white nose he had a giant scar on his nose that was very very angular and it looked like it was from a japanese bayonet because it would it was just too perfect to be like from another croc or anything and um yeah so it's crazy crazy like three weeks in the hottest, swampiest, worst jungle I've ever been in. <laughs> How many people were estimated to be killed by the crocodiles? A thousand. A thousand. Yeah. Did you guys in find one night? Did you guys find any like remains or anything or bones lodged in these? Dude, you won't even believe this. Uh, I've never told this story before. So we're at this area of this massacre. And we're like, how do we explain this? And and we had, you know, we were making a TV show for the History Channel, and we had like an old artifact rifle that had been found there from before. And we're like, let's put the rifle like in the in the remains, and have the other host, not Andrew Yukels, the other guy, like pick up the rifle and talk about it, you know, and be like, whoa, look at this rifle. So we put it in. The, so I've never told anybody this before, but this is how you make TV, right? So we put this rifle up against the the ruin of the fort. And we're like, Brian was his name. We're like, Brian, there's a rifle here. Rummage around until you find it. And so he like walks right by it, doesn't even see it. And he steps into the mud in front of the fort. It's low tide. He sort of starts feeling around with his feet, reaches down with his hands and pulls out a human skull, a f- intact human skull with a, with a like crack mark in it. And he's like, is this what you guys wanted me to find? Like, is this real? And we're like, the fuck, dude, that's real. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, tell me what you want me to say or whatever. And we're like, <laughs> we didn't put a human skull there. That's a real skull. And he like drops it. It's like, oh, what the fuck? You know, and it was a real human skull that had been crunched from probably. 
I'm not sure if it had been shot by, you know, uh, an allied soldier or crunched by a croc, but yeah, this guy literally reached into the mud and pulled out a human skull right then and there in front of us when we were sort of staging him supposed to go find a rifle. Oh my God, <laughs> bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. Yeah. It was nuts. And when we were in Papua last year or two, yeah, last year, um, we walked into a, a Papuan burial site that had like several hundred human skulls in it. Yeah, I could show you show you a picture of it. It's pretty wild. Um, Where was this at? Papua New Guinea. Oh, okay. Yeah, Papua's crazy, dude. Crazy place. Um, but yeah, no, so we in Myanmar, we found that skull. That was the only human remains we found. But um, we've seen him a few places now. <laughs> is that where that big cave is that you're talking about? The cave that is like can fit New York skyscrapers inside of it? No, that's in uh, Vietnam, Song oh. Dung Cave. So it's close to there, though. Very close to there. There's there's some human skulls in a burial site in Papua New Guinea for you. Those are all crystallized from being in there for a long time. Whoa, dude. Pretty cool, huh? That's insane. Yeah. We sort of stumbled on that, too. So all of these humans, all these people are likely to have been killed by or eaten by animals? No, this was like a burial site for the village. Oh, okay. So, them down there. I mean, you can see some of them have been bashed in. Like, that's yeah. blunt force trauma. Right. But yeah. um, the majority of them, I think, had died of other causes, you know, which in the jungle, a lot of that's by animals. Snake bite, malaria, uh, you know, tribal warfare or just random disease. And then in that part of the world, their tradition, instead of burying it, is to put them in a cave. So this was like a burial cave where oh, all okay. the skulls were. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, what's the deal with that big cave, that big cave in Vietnam? Song Dung Cave was, uh, it was only discovered in the 90s. And uh, it's a really interesting story. The Vietnamese guy who first found it, found it like 10 years prior, and then came out and told everybody there's this enormous cave, this enormous cave. And um, and then uh, and then they couldn't find it for like ten more years again. Then he finally found it. That's called the wedding cake. That one that your mouse is hovering over right there. Um, oh. But you can't even really see the scale. You can kind of see it on the picture to the left of that. Those are those are tents. Um, in the picture to the left, the oh, one you just by the water, by the water. Those are tents, and that's just the entrance to the cave. But it's a six mile long cave. Um, and uh, yeah, it's got a few few holes that it, where it's collapsed, but it's six miles long. And in some of the caverns, you can fit the Empire State Building standing upright, and it wouldn't touch the ceiling. Like you cannot get the scope of how big that hole is. Like that just looks like some beautiful right. little little rock thing. Like mm-hmm. that in itself is you know a hundred plus stories tall. That's fucking wild, <laughs> bro. It's incredible. Yeah. So we spent uh, about a week trekking through there. You rappel down. And then trek through it for about a week, multiple days. That's how you like trek in there. That's the <laughs> oh way in. God. We had fifty something porters just to carry all our gear. It was a big, big, big to do. How the fuck do you charge your camera batteries when you're out there? We didn't. We just had to bring them all. That's really? why. Yeah. Or did we bring? No. I, I'm sorry. We did. On that one, we brought generators into the cave with us. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, no. It was it was rough. I mean, the days where you don't see sunlight are really weird. Like when you go a couple days where you wake you go to bed and it's pitch black you wake up and it's pitch black you pack up and it's pitch black you keep cruising and it's pitch black and this is what it looks like like none of these are like manipulated images this how is many what it looks total like. days did you spend in the cave i think a week a I remember week correctly. with no sunlight yeah so you have these pockets where like the, okay yeah the right. ceilings uh fallen in so i think i think the most we went was two or maybe three days without sunlight is that that's not me is it no because we definitely did that arm wrestling's a big thing there um, those are cool. What the fuck is that? Those are called cave pearls. So 
the I think I remember this correctly. Basically, a little bit of sediment will congregate in one of these pools, and then as the water trickles over that like tiered thing, it rolls it like a tumbler and uh, rolls it more and more and more, and the sediment uh, congregates in this ball rolling in every direction, and you get these pearls on the ground called cave pearls. And uh, I wanted one. I got there. I was like, whoa, these are cool. And everybody was like, don't touch those, don't touch those. First of all, you probably shouldn't because you can't just pick up amazing rocks like that. You should leave them in place. But secondly, the reason they're like, don't touch those, don't touch those, is the uh, Vietnamese guys were telling us, like, it's insanely bad luck to remove a cave pearl from the cave. Really? So I put it right back down. <laughs> it looks like some sort of, like, man-made art on the, on the floor. That's right near the exit point right there. That's towards the end of the six days. In fact, I'm pretty sure those are the guys we went with right there. But it's an amazing cave, Dude, man. caves. I don't, caves are the one thing that just freaked me out more than anything because I'm so claustrophobic. We found some interesting stuff in there, too. We found a blind fish that I don't think had ever been described, the species of fish. No eyes. You know, evolved. All the eyes are completely gone because its species had lived in that cave for hundreds of generations, maybe thousands. And uh, so didn't even evolve eyes. We found a snail that to this day has not been documented. Like, nobody knows what the species is. I just I came out with the shell and handed it to some Vietnamese scientists. They're like, we've never seen this before. All new species of snail. Whoa. Like a, a lightless snail, which is crazy. Um, yeah, found some interesting stuff in there. I wonder if there's ever civilizations living down there, like human civilizations. There had Good to Good question. Been. I didn't, we didn't see any human remi- any really? any signs of humans uh, that we saw, but who knows? I, we were there thinking how, biologically. How far underground did it go? Well, like I said, far enough that a New York City skyscraper could but, fit so, in. So that's below the level of the ground. Correct. Though. Correct. So wow. our initial rappel in was 300 meters. So I think that's 1,000 feet. So we rappelled down a oh thousand God. feet. Like, look at that picture right there. That's one of the punch through spots. That was actually one of the forests we were looking for to try and get blood from leeches to see if this extinct animal called a sala could be in there. Whole thing. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, that's like one of the punch throughs. It's like a thousand feet to the ceiling there. Whoa. Yeah, dude. it's big. Dude. It's an entire. For people that aren't looking at this, it's like an entire forest growing inside of this massive stone cave. It's like uh, what is it? Land of the Lost. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like Land of the Lost. It's the real life version. Oh my God. But parts of it collapsed? Yeah, because, you know, it's six miles of underground tunnel. And then along the way, when you say parts of it collapsed, what I mean is basically holes have fallen through in the ceiling. So you mm-hmm. go a day or two without light. And then you, in the distance, you just see a beam of light and you think it's like a keyhole, like that. You think it's like mm, a keyhole. Right. And when you get there, you realize that keyhole is like it's like three miles wide or no it's like a mile wide it's huge because of the size of the cave mm. um and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's crazy because you'll be in pitch blackness and you'll see light in the distance and you'll think oh i'll be there in two minutes but because of the size of the cave it takes you four hours to get to where that light is it's just like it's that big dude that happened to me one time in uh the cayman islands free diving Uh-oh. me and my buddies were just doing swim throughs of these giant caverns uh-huh and we were both did like he went down into this opening at one like 30 seconds before i did i went like 30 seconds after him uh-huh. and then i was swimming like the bottom of it was all sand right and then you have like little tiny keyholes sporadically throughout of it sure some, some of them you can't fit through some of them you can sure and we were going through and we got to the i got to the exit where i saw him like slowly ascending through it oh, and you know we were wearing free diving fins so his fins were like poking all the way down and like he was taking forever and i was like almost out of breath like fuck <laughs> i can't wait i'm gonna keep going oh no so i kept going trying to find another exit and i couldn't find another fucking oh exit 
it. Finally, I found like a little keyhole that I looked up and I'm like, I'm dead. My life was flashing before my eyes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to have to fucking squeeze through this whether I get shredded or not. Right. You just and have to try to fit through it. So I'm doing it. I get my head through it. And I'm like pushing myself out and it scraped my whole oh. stomach. My back was all ripped up and I barely got myself through that thing, dude. And then it was like another 20 feet to the surface. And that was like the most terrifying thing I've ever been through, like closest to death I've ever been. And ever since then, I don't fuck with caves. <laughs> You're lucky, man, because you could have got to your hips, you know, and got that's it. Like, right. you know, like stuck there or whatever. But <sighs> cool. That's, that's gotta, rough. Yeah, man. That's scary. And I know that feeling of looking up at the at the the surface of the water or the light or whatever and being like, it's right there and I'm sort of stuck here. And there's, you know, it's like takes forever to get there. It's, and it's so deceiving too when you're in those caves and you see like a giant beam of light, sh light shaft right. coming through. And you're right. like, oh yeah, I can get through there. No problem. But exactly. you, you have no idea how big it is. And Oof. then you forget how deep you are too. Right. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's terrifying. <sighs> and it's worse because you're stuck underwater and I can't think of any worse way than to just like... <gasps> in a big thing of water yeah so, so bad yeah what other sort of like crazy species have you found that haven't been discovered um got, got quite a pretty good list now i mean we've we described a new species of blind worm recently or blind snake sorry not blind worm do you know what a blind snake is no it's like imagine an earthworm that's actually a snake like this tiny little thread like it looks like a worm but when you look really closely you can actually see like the head, the eyes, the mouth, everything. They're called blind snakes. So we recently described a new species of those down in Peru. Um, uh, I actually just put that through that up on my Instagram a couple of days ago. It's pretty cool. You see the actual little snake in my hand. Oh, is it the one with, like a little red tip on it? Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a. Di this is a different species, of course, as an Australian species. But we just discovered a new species of that. Found some species of fish that have not been described. That snail I mentioned. Oh, it's got scales on it. Yeah, it's a full-on snake. Micro scales. Yeah. Dude, that's nuts. And um, and then, yeah, and then found a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, has been lost for a long time. Like that big tortoise we found in the Galapagos. We found a caiman. Mm -hmm. uh, we found four different species of shark that were lost to science that had been gone for a long time. Um, one that hadn't been seen in 70 years, which was pretty cool. Whoa. Um, what else? Uh, a monkey uh, called a Miller's Grizzled Langier. That had been lost. It had been lost for a while, and then there was like some photos from, I think, 2012, 2014, and then we found it again recently. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty cool. We got some of the best footage. Yeah, there you go. Grizzled. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, that's the monkey? Hey, I know that guy. Um, yeah, there you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is us like finding them there and yeah, a uh, big leopard species that we found that was just pretty cool. That's not our photo, but that's one of the ones we went off of, I believe. Yeah. So it's a bunch of fun stuff. Dude, Luke was telling me when he, Luke, uh, caverns, the uh -huh. dude who hooked us up, yeah. shout out to Luke. Good he, dude. he was in here like last week and he was explaining to me, uh, that I guess he was, a uh, went to paramedic school. And what they taught him was that um, there's basically no snake in the United States that can kill you unless you're allergic to the venom. So like if you get yeah. bit by like a Western diamondback or an Eastern diamondback and you're not actually allergic to the venom, you'll, you could just like chill for a couple of days and you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I think that might be an over, over simplification. You, you, Everybody reacts differently to different venoms. That's something that is not like widely explained, uh -huh. right? So some people have relatively minimal reactions to venom and other people have bad reactions to venom, but it's your allergy to venom 
that can oftentimes kill you. And especially if you've right. been bitten by something once, then you develop an allergy almost without question. But if you're bitten by a coral snake, you're going to die. Like, there's no... A coral snake? Yeah, the coral snakes you guys have here and yeah. stuff, like, yeah, yeah. they'll get you. And uh, it's funny, because, like, you see things, like, I, I watched Yellowstone pretty recently. And, oh, really? Yeah, in one of the one of the scenes, Rip, like, throws a snake on this, like, developer guy, and it's it's a Western Diamondback, and it bites him, and he, like, drops dead in, like, six feet. And it's like, nah, that's not how it works. Like, you'd get bitten... Your, your hand would start to rot off. It would swell. All the tissue would be black. You'd make it to the hospital. They'd probably have to chop off part of your limb, right, and then right. you'd be okay. Like, you don't right. just drop dead after six feet. Right. Um, but it's, yeah, no, I mean. He said there was one snake specifically in the Amazon that you absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, you're dead within hours. Uh, I forget what it was. Do you remember what it was, Steve? There's lots. There's there's no, there's, it's, yeah, that's not, that's not, it's definitely not correct. There's lots of snakes globally that you are going to die. Really? Mamba, you're going to die. Really? Taipan, if you're un, if you're left untreated, you will die. There's not, it's not, there's no question. Okay. Mamba, Taipan, coastal or inland, uh, most of the sea snakes. Um, right. You know, like there's just there's a lot of species that if you're bitten by uh, certain vipers, you're going to die if you're left untreated. Mm. Like it doesn't matter who you are, you will die if left untreated. Most of our snakes in the United States do not have potent enough venom. Most of to kill a person, but if it's still left untreated, you'll die. Like you'll die of mm. sepsis, you'll die of infection. Like or your your hand will like rot. And yeah, it'll you, melt you'll off. Have to get, you'll have to get it amputated, like Manny's like Manny's finger. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Have you seen the video of him getting bit, Manny? Yeah. No. Oh my god. It's brutal. Dude. Well, you can see like the TV camera guy, the camera guys are everywhere, and the producers are everywhere, and they got him doing it. He actually grabbed it once, and like, oh, we didn't get a good enough shot. We were a little bit out of the sh the focus was a little soft. Let's do it again, Manny. And then he like goes back again. He grabs it, like he puts his hand down on the head, you know, like that. Like puts his finger down on the top of his head, yeah. and, like grabs it, and the, the thing wraps around to the side, and like that's one fang into his finger. Oof. And he's Manny like looks up after he grabs it, like smiles at the camera's like, "Hey, he got me." <laughs> <laughs> and like they like thought he was joking at first, and he's like, no. he picks it up. Then they finally put it down. He's like, "Yeah." Uh, we probably have to go. <laughs> Jesus. And then there was like a, I forget how long he said the ride was, but at least at least a two hour drive. Oh, wow. Because they were in the middle of Texas somewhere and they had to oh, like wow. find a hospital. Yeah. It, he, and that's what's so cool and calm about Manny. Like, I don't know him that well, but I've met him a bunch of times. He's just so like, got me. You know, it's like he's doing his alligator stuff, or I don't know if he showed you the video where he catches a mako shark by hand. Oh yeah, we watched yeah. all that shit. He's dude. nuts, man. He's he's a crazy, crazy. He's like a he's a he's a he's a gone era of person. You know what I mean? Like he's 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 from another time. Mm. <laughs> he's such a cool guy. And the videos of him levitating those alligators are absolutely insane. Wild. The fucking the uh what did he call it? He called it the uh like the river beast or something or the canal monster that's what know. it was the canal monster it was like a 20 foot alligator he swam down and the thing was like trying to get away from him for like 30 minutes and he uh -huh. was like chasing it all around and thing tried to go hide down in the in like the uh the mangroves uh -huh. and he kept pulling it out pulling it oh, out and goodness eventually then he got like pissed off and swam away but he's nuts that's a, it's a crazy thing to do he's a very um, rare very rare type of human being he is dude that's for sure that'd be so so cool i mean i have so much respect for those guys that just you know, like times have changed. You kind of just go harass alligators and stuff, and rightfully so. But those guys that like from Manny's era and stuff that just went and figured it out. You know, they're just like, I don't believe this. I don't believe that that swamp donkey is a mindless killing machine. <laughs> I'm gonna get in there and fiddle with it and see what happens. Like, so mm -hmm. much respect for that. I think yeah. it's amazing. 
Yeah. Well, it's his view on sharks specifically is like very real and unique because I mean, I don't know about you, but like when you, when I go on Instagram, there's like all these people I follow that like they swim with the sharks, they go out with tiger sharks and they talk mm-hmm. about like, oh yeah, so majestic. Oh yeah. So beautiful. Lots. Look at this beautiful girl swimming up to us. Yeah. She's so sweet <laughs> and all this stuff. And Manny's like, this is not good that these people have these Instagram videos. <laughs> it, He's like, this is a wrong portrayal of these beasts. You cannot treat them like this. Stay away from them. The diff- he, he explains, he goes, these lady, these girls in Hawaii or wherever they are, are swimming with these tiger sharks. Yeah. What she does not explain to you is that they are very well-fed tiger sharks. Right. They are right. not hungry. Right. If this shark was hungry and not well-fed, you're you. dead meat. Yeah. Well, he's right, and and but to play devil's advocate to that, I think it's pendulous, right? Like, the perception of this is pendulous. And what I mean is, 20 years ago, if you thought of, if you wanted to see a picture of a shark, you saw a guy killing a shark, like a guy standing with a fishing rod next to a big dead shark, right, yeah. on the internet, whatever. And you're, right. like, and you're like, oh, that was cool. That was like the cool thing. Okay, now the pendulum has swung probably too far the other way where I can't open up my phone without seeing a gorgeous gal in a skimpy bikini next to a giant tiger shark telling you it's her best friend. Okay, that's too far the other that's way. That's a little too far. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and both sides are probably wrong. Like the reality and the pendulum will probably swing back slowly is that it needs to be somewhere in the middle where it's like, well, here are these animals. They're cool. We need to respect them. We need to have a healthy understanding of them. We don't need to go out and kill everyone. We also don't need to get naked and swim next to them and pretend they're puppy dogs you know it's like the reality is somewhere in the middle and i think i'd rather have the perception of like don't kill these things they're cool they're interesting they're important than go out and hammer them but like i said i think the reality it just needs to kind of land somewhere in the middle yeah is my opinion of it yeah i mean it is fucking freaky though like the, the going out there and swimming with these things with no cage or no at least no spear gun with you just in case something yeah. goes wrong like yeah that's fucking that's scary man it is, um, but you know, a lot of the places they do it, like you said, like the the girls in Hawaii, Tiger Beach here in the Bahamas and stuff. The sharks are used to people; they're fed every day. They're very habituated yes, animals. They're very well fed. Yeah, yeah and uh, that's very different from like I've run into some tiger sharks, like really remote places, the Maldives and stuff like that, where they come in all fired up, arches locked, you know, arch <laughs> back Backs back arch, yeah. arch pecs locked, and you're like, holy shit, this is scary. And you're really glad you have a camera to push or a spear gun to hold in between you and get out of the water. Right. And, you know, it's like, it's just different situations. Like I think there was, a, there was a girl who got eaten alive in uh, at like Pig Island in... Um, in the Bahamas? In the Bahamas, yeah. I think it was like near Staniel K. By a tiger shark? By a tiger shark, like right off the beach. Like they were doing like a, they were swimming with the pigs. And the boat, I didn't know that. the boat was anchored in like six feet of water right off the beach. And, and they saw the tiger shark and they're like, oh, it's fluffy or whatever. I think it just pulled up out of nowhere. Really? I don't I don't know if they saw it beforehand, but this was like two years ago. Oh, I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, and she got ripped apart, eaten alive, just like the guy in fucking uh, Egypt, man. It, it, if I'm a tiger shark, there's nowhere better to be than at a pig island. There, the there you go. go That's the story right there. A woman who was killed in a shark attack was following dreams. Of, oh, this is not it. This, this is the one why. I was talking about was uh, the Bahamas. Oh, interesting. Pig Island of the Bahamas. Yeah, that's it right there. Snorkeling with pigs. Oh, wow. 21-year-old girl. Shame. It's a pity, especially when these people go because they want to have these interactions, you know, and they, they, again, like they see it on Instagram or whatever, and they're like, oh, I want to have this interaction. I want to get this photo, and then it results in something like right. that. It, it is sad. I, I think the biggest problem... 
and I believe this to be the case across everything, is like understanding. You don't see somebody hunting a tiger shark with a, with a fishing rod or swimming with one in a bikini and go, I'm going to do that without any understanding. You couldn't go kill it with your rod and reel if you're a bass fisherman, right? And you're right. probably not going to be the guy swimming or the gal swimming with it just because you swam in a pool once before. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. You've got to learn and take it slow and understand and like get comfortable and then do these things. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's like what's happened in our digital age where you just see the snapshot on on tiktok instagram whatever you're like i'm gonna go do that and then you just try and do it because you've seen other people do it it's like that's not how these things work not in the wildlife world i can tell you that right you have to take your time understand the animal understand all of the environmental conditions around it is it hungry is it full moon is the water clear is it dirty like all these factors that go into making those choices it's not just like oh here's a shark let's jump in right are there guys on a dock filleting fish like 20 feet away from exactly dude exactly (laughs) like Anybody will get hurt doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like you have to be smarter than that when you do these things. I think one of the things I'm probably afraid of more so than sharks are giant barracudas. Yeah. I don't know why they creep me the <laughs> fuck out, bro. They're crazy when they're sitting there like they're dead so still. Creepy, dude. Yeah, they're yeah. So creepy they looking. They have those big teeth. And they fuck people up. They I had a really... buddy I had a buddy got bitten on the foot in Belize. He was hanging his foot over a dock in Belize and all of a sudden Not even bam. in the water? No, he was just sitting in sitting with his feet in the water next to his wife on the end of a dock in Belize and all of a sudden this thing this he just felt it on his foot and he looked down, his foot was shredded. Like twenty something stitches. God. He wasn't damn. even like a dive guy, ocean guy, anything. He was just sitting on a dock drinking a colic, which is their beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colic, yeah. Colic, yeah. And uh and he got hammered on the foot and it was pretty gnarly. Like he had a shit ton of stitches. Um Have you ever eaten Barracuda? Not the one here, because um, don't they have SIG or something SIG, here? Yeah, I, I, from what I hear is the ones that have SIG are the ones that are up north in the colder climates, and the oh, one down here in the warm climates don't have that. I'm not sure, yeah. But my dad brought me some fish bread the other day, and he was like, how was that? How was that fish? I'm like, the kingfish is great. He's like, that's barracuda. No way. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Smoked fish dip? <laughs> it's still good, yeah. Smoked smoked, smoked cuda. Dude, you guys do so well with fish here. It's like, <laughs> man, I... I my favorite part of Florida, like, it's probably the gators and the fish and stuff, but outside of that is the food and the hangout. Like, we went to this barbecue place last night. We were there for, like, five hours. Really? We ate, like, nine pounds of smoked meat, a bunch of beers. There's good live music. It's, like, it's such a vibe here. Yeah, man. I love it. I love Florida, too. Like, yeah. I've, I've been all over the place. I'm not everywhere you've been, but I've been to a lot of places, and there's no place that I love more than this area of Florida, yeah. man. It's so I get unique. It. Are there barracudas in California? We have Pacific Barracuda, which are much smaller. They're a schooling fish, mm, okay. um, and they're pretty slimy and gross. They're pretty good smoked. Like, you take it and smoke it, like, oh, butterfly it up and smoke it. Mm-hmm. Teriyaki grill, it's good, mm-hmm. but it's not like these things. They're like a big Barracuda where I'm from is, like, this big. Oh, really? Yeah, they're not these big, giant They get as big as this thing. table here. Oh, I've seen them. Yeah, I've seen them out diving the Air Force Towers and stuff. They're creepy. And they're, the way they sit there, it's like suspended animation, the way they just, like, sit there staring yes. at you. Like their tail barely moving. They're crazy. What I hate is that whenever we go diving, they're always fucking hanging out under the boat. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I can't get back on the boat. The fuck? A, <laughs> You're like looking, they're guarding your there's boat. There's a 10-foot barracuda under the boat. <laughs> and then spearfishing too. Like almost like in my experience, spearfishing here, I've ne- luckily, knock on wood, I've never had to deal with sharks fucking with me. Uh-huh. But I, oh, I've ha- been in many situations where I've been coming to the surface and I've had like four barracudas charging me. Just hanging around, like looking for well, they're, something. They're coming up out of the abyss trying, oh, to get really? my, trying to get my fish. Oh, interesting. That's crazy. Yeah, they're weird fish. And I don't know if you've ever seen like a, like a jaw mount of one. 
Uh, like I a, don't think so. Like all the skin removed from the jaw. Their teeth are so oh, yeah. big in ratio mm -hmm. to like their they're like razors. Yeah, they're a crazy thing. Which like look at these things, man. Like the megalodon. Like look at the size of that too. The great white shark too is like that big. Like that's a really? scary thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's not even a big meg tooth. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's maybe, you know, a medium-sized one. But great white shark tooth's like a fifth that size. Those are That's insane to think those things were cruising around. Mm. Yeah. And the fact that this thing could potentially be six million years old is really insane. It's pretty wild. I learned something interesting about it yesterday. The dark coloration that you see on it yeah. is from the tannins in the water staining it as it gets exposed. When it comes out, it would be ivory white, you know, or maybe not quite ivory but like much much lighter in color from being fossilized and it's actually just the tannins in the water that stain it that darker color what is it called tannins tannins it's like what you get in like when you make a cup of tea or even coffee that's tannins it's the stuff that leaches out oh, of plants yeah wow. that's what stains it have you ever uh have you ever seen the youtube channel called uh jug squad no joke squad jug j-o-o-g no what is there's that there's this kid jack who lives right down the street like five minutes away from here and uh -huh. he, he has this big youtube channel with like millions of subscribers and now like he started out doing pranks and stuff but then he recently started hunting for megalodon teeth so they go down to sarasota okay that's and, where we were okay they, yeah. they, they go to the beach and he's got a fucking his bedroom is filled with megalodon megalodon teeth like as big as this cup oh no way yeah dude oh, so got, he crushes it oh dude he's got so many and like there's so many people who are fascinated in watching those videos where they hunt for those teeth yeah it's pretty wild how the, how there's so many of them here and it's so easy to like not really hard to find them in, no. on the beach so he does the like beach combing thing like he walks along the yeah, beach they walk them along up. the beach and they like dig through the sand and they find them somehow wow i don't know like what his specific tactics are in finding them but this is a whole new world for me so i love this like finding rare stuff obviously i find a lot of rare animals I'm big into mushroom hunting. I've done that for a lot of years. Mushroom hunting? Yeah. Finding wild mushrooms. Really? To eat. Yeah. Like big porcini, chanterelles, black trumpets, all the different species. You guys don't have a lot of them here. In mm -hmm. California, we have a lot. Right. Um, and uh, so it's like adult Easter egg hunting. You're walking through the woods looking for these special little prizes growing out of the dirt. And that's the same rush that I got because yesterday was my first time I've done this kind of fossil hunting. Mm -hmm. It's the same rush that I got from that. It's really fun. Aren't there like certain kind of mushrooms that grow off of animals? I forget what it's. There's like a certain type of mushroom that like fungus that grows out of the heads of certain. Oh animals. yeah, um, the cordyceps. They grow out of uh, like if you look up cordyceps mushrooms, they grow out of insects and take over their brains, zombify them, make them behave differently. They're fascinating. What the? F that is bizarre. It's the whole yeah. See these? Um, yeah, see you can see them in the. What is this? Free shipping? Oh shit! What is that? What is that? An ant? The second one over, I think it's growing out of insects too. Go scroll down. Yeah, that's an ant. Those are all funny. mushrooms growing out of these fucking things. Correct. Yeah, look at the insect on the far right there, or that one even. So, yeah, zombie fungus. So it it takes over their their biology, the chemistry of their brain, actually controls them and tells them what to do. And what? Then it, yeah. Then when it gets to a certain point, it erupts. The uh. The the TV show, the HBO show, The Last of Us, did a really good job sort of explaining it. I mean, it's it's a fictional show, but like it's the idea is that these cordyceps mushrooms transfer to humans, and then humans end up being zombies and melting like these bugs. Has that ever happened? No, not yet, thankfully. But it, it might, and that's the whole sort of idea of uh, The Last of Us. Yeah, here you go. This is The Last of Us. Oh, God. That's the zombie fungus, you know. It's it's a real thing, and they do a great job in that TV show, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, 
yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, fungus are incredible. Yeah, man, that's nuts. Yeah, look at that. Full mushrooms growing out of that bug's head. Where do you find these kind of mushrooms that you're hunting for? Is this in California? Yeah, I don't find these. I don't look for zombie fungus. I look for yummy ones. Okay. Um, no, we go, so we go in Northern California in the winter in the wet season mm. up into like the redwood forests and areas like that. And up near Santa Cruz, that area? Even further north. Oh, further like, north. Okay. Yeah, like, like way north of San Francisco. Oh, wow. Um, like near the Oregon border. And uh, yeah, hike the redwoods and stuff. And we find chanterelles, which are big golden ones, porcini, which are like giant phallic looking ones a whole bunch of other species and yeah make these crazy wild meals i have friends who are chefs and stuff and they come with make make these crazy wild meals it's really fun you ever get any psychedelic ones i found hundreds of them thousands really? of them but i've never i've actually never done them myself are they in the same area as the porcini mushrooms uh so where where we hunt i probably shouldn't tell too many people this but where we hunt there there aren't out in the wild where they are is where people have intentionally it's like you know what chameleon ranching is here in florida no let's talk about that in a second but uh it's like people have actually intentionally spread the spores around like my buddy knows them really well there'll be like a mcdonald's parking lot in berkeley california and he's like oh right in that parking lot in that mulch there's a ton of uh of the psychedelic mushrooms and you go over there and there's these little mushrooms and there'll literally be people like lined up for the drive-thru and my buddy will be picking them out of the mulch and they're the psychedelic mushrooms Whoa. yeah <laughs> that's fucking weird yeah but people have like put the spores in certain areas and it's the same thing as this newfound thing that I'm sort of just getting caught up on called chameleon ranching. Mm -hmm. You haven't heard of this? Never. Literally right around here, St. Pete, St. Pete, uh, Tampa, a yeah. bunch of different near Orlando, a bunch of different spots. People have taken chameleons, which are a high value pet. You know, people want to own chameleons, not you or I, but reptile people yeah. like want to own these panther chameleons and uh, a bunch of other species, flapneck chameleons and stuff, veiled chameleons. And they go and release them in their neighborhood. And because Florida is Florida and everything survives here, they go gangbusters. And now my buddy, Billy, that kid who dropped me off, he was telling me how, cause he, he's a scientist. He's a local scientist here um, in Florida and he does a lot of reptile work. He's oh really? Yeah. He's a super cool kid, but um, he does turtle stuff, but he was telling me how the chameleon ranchers, like it's becoming a bit mafioso because a chameleon can be worth like two, three grand, right? So they'll, they'll buy two or three of these chameleons, go and release them in a neighborhood that has all the perfect vegetation and right habitat, and then they'll check up on them every few months. And from two chameleons, there'll be 10 chameleons, there'll be 30 chameleons, there'll be 50 chameleons. But then it becomes mafioso because <clears throat> these guys want to take these chameleons that they've ranched and sell them into the pet trade. But kids like Billy will go and find them and be like, oh, cool, a panther chameleon, and start keeping them. Guys will come running out with shotguns and because they'll do it on private property. Guys will come running out with shotguns and they'll they'll chase you off and you know they're being protective over their illegally ranched chameleons that are in like suburban neighborhoods. Whoa! And this is like a thing. Nuts! Right here, like right here, like. Can you pull up what area. they look like? Type in panther chameleons. They're my favorite. Pan and those are just running around. Yeah. In some of these neighborhoods like, around here. I bet you within ten to fifteen minutes of where we're sitting right now, there's a wild population. Of these really. Guys. Check these guys out. Yeah. That thing. That thing. Type in panther chameleon. Oh, yeah, you put ranching, but I was just going to say Florida. But um, yeah, it's like it's like a big thing. Um, and how much do they go for? I think like two to three grand. Like, yeah, there's a kid with a bunch of them on his head that he's probably, you know, on his YouTube channel. I'm sure he's found these around Florida. Um, I've never seen one. No, but because that's the thing. You got to know where to go. 
mm. wild chameleons in Florida. You know, it's like it's becoming a thing, and it's apparently it's becoming bigger and bigger. And you know, people are because all you have to do is let them go, and then you go collect them and and sell them. But that's terrible because it's an invasive species; they go out of control. Blah blah blah. But then there's all these people that are protective over it. What do they eat? Insects. Insects. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chameleons shoot their tongues out and catch little insects and pull them back in. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What's that one got a big horn on his face? Yeah. That's a, <sighs> that's called a Jackson's chameleon. They, okay. They, grow, they look like a little triceratops. And then there's uh yeah, so there's little panthers. Yeah. God Pretty cool. Damn, bro. And they get that red color and everything. They're crazy animals. That's cool, man. So <laughs> yeah. now you're kind of like doing more stuff. You're like you're traveling and doing stuff on your own, creating your own kind of content for your YouTube stuff, not so much the television stuff. I'm doing both. Uh, we, we have three projects in the work for next year for big TV shows, TV networks. And I own a production company that... Uh, so for everything you see that I'm on camera, that's like maybe 50% of what I do. The other 50%, I'm behind the camera, like that history show I told you about with Andrew Uckels. Like, I just produced that. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So, so my, you, you'll hold the camera and shit? I don't hold the camera. I produce. So, oh, okay, like, okay. I have camera guys and stuff. You um, know what's going on. You know how to make shit happen. Yeah, yeah. I make the whole show. So, I actually own a company that makes, uh, uh, like, high-end wildlife productions, um, wildlife adventure TV mm -hmm. shows, series for Discovery, Nat Geo, History Channel, Vice, a whole bunch of different places. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, that's, like, my main thing that I do is I make all these various shows and TV shows mm -hmm. and I'm on about half of them you would never even know I'm involved in the other half because I'm off camera producing them mm -hmm. and then just recently because of the state of affairs with television I mean do you have cable no exactly I got YouTube TV yeah well that's good but nobody has TV anymore nobody has cable anymore so right. we just literally two months ago decided hey like we've, we've we're really good at making media like we've been doing it you know high level professionally on major major cable networks for a long time let's start doing it ourselves so we're gonna see we're gonna start putting out like really good high-end polished media on youtube uh for free and see if we can build an audience that way so that it's self-perpetuating and we don't have to be chasing tv networks for money yeah that's yeah. a great idea man but, but it's, is it working well we're we're two months in and we just i think day before yesterday or maybe yesterday we hit two hundred fifty thousand subscribers oh, on youtube shit. you're on fire so it's going pretty well yeah i mean i don't know much about it you know but we just do all these various things like we're having fun with the youtube thing i have a podcast that's also on youtube called the wild times that's doing pretty well making these tv shows for all these networks uh you know standing in a swamp making a watch commercial Getting for garmin by lightning yeah exactly <laughs> so you know it just sort of pay, put it all together but it's all in one vein it's all in the vein of adventure and wildlife and connecting with animals and mm -hmm. it's fun i like i like what we do i wouldn't trade it for anything yeah that's cool i, I always wonder like what's going to happen with media i always like wonder like the evolution of it and like what it's going to be like in the next 10 years is there going to be all youtube channels all yeah. people like creating stuff their own content on the internet monetizing it or like are these big tv networks still going to be like the gatekeepers yeah are they going to rebound is it going to change like who knows and that's why we want it that's why we try to dip our hands with my company into a little bit of everything you know mm -hmm. just try all the the various different things um and just see how it's all going but it's it's fun, man. You're crushing it. Your podcast is amazing. Like people love it. It's growing crazy as well. I mean, 
you know, I think you're doing all the right yeah, things. Yeah, I like having people like you on here, man, more than anything. This is the most fascinating shit to talk about. Oh, thank you. I, I mean, the reason I ask about the media shit is like, because I kind of come from the same world, like shooting stuff for television and, yeah. and a Movies. lot of, especially like underwater stuff, mm -hmm. and like big into the underwater stuff. And I've spent a lot of time like, like years developing. I don't know if you, I don't know, like, it seems like you've just always been super successful, but like in no, my, dude, in my no. early experience i spent years like developing shooting editing and dealing with production companies mm -hmm. and tv networks and going to going to pitch meetings and getting as far as green light meetings after like three years and yeah. finally being right there and then having some some fucking executive at viacom saying nope yep. like this is this does not fit with our current advertising package that yep. we have going you know what change I mean? the mandate new head of network whatever right. yeah no i've been through all of that like many many times it's incredibly frustrating you lose tons of money, tons of hours, tons of sleep. I mean, but it's not all, it certainly hasn't always been successful. I mean, I spent three years where we lived on my wife's part-time teacher salary pitching stuff before the first thing got picked really? up. You know, like that's a lot of top ramen. Um, yeah. And then the first thing took and, you know, did that for a few years and then started this tiny company which was just my wife and I, and she was doing the bookkeeping. She doesn't know anything about TV and I was <laughs> pitching and then hired our first employee, then our 10th employee, you know, and so just built it up over time. But it, it, it's not easy. And with the state of media now, but I should say the state of TV, not the state of media, who knows where it's going? You know, it's really like, that's a whole nother world. That's a whole nother business. But like, who knows where media is going to go? And I think the future, and I wish I jumped on this train 10 years ago when everybody else did, but I think the future is YouTube. I think that's what people want to consume. I don't think they want these crazy TV shows anymore. Nobody wants to sit through a commercial. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think people just have developed, I think especially young people have developed an incredible bullshit detector when it comes to television being overproduced. Like that's, yeah. I talk about this all the time with people that I come in, come in here that talk about specifically like the UFO stuff mm -hmm. that are like involved in the history channel shows and like yeah. the Skinwalker Ranch yeah, type yeah. shows. When Like when I watch that, I'm just like, oh my God, like, it's, are you serious? This is so produced. And I think people want to see shit that's more raw that's I more agree. just like pov run and gun type stuff that's yep. not super edited or doesn't have crazy like music to it even though that's cool but like when you start to add the dramatic shit to it i, yeah. I think people start to like be like you know they don't want to see that as much they it, want to see the other stuff the faking stuff's so boring and it's so dull and, and i understand how it got there because over years, like a, a net TV network would be like, hey, we need to be bigger, we need to be crazier, we need to be louder. So the producers have no choice but to be like, okay, well, I don't know how to make this ghost hunting show where we're not finding anything louder. <laughs> right, right, right. I guess let's knock over a lamp and see the guy jump. You know, it's like, okay, like what else are we gonna do? So it's just this perpetual bullshit cycle, like you said. And, and I think young people are just like, I, I know they just knocked over that lamp. Like, I know a ghost didn't do that. Like, who right. fucking cares? This is dumb. Mm -hmm. I'd rather watch a kid with a dip net in a pond in Florida trying to catch weird fish. Right. Because at least he's genuine and he cares and it's real and it's fun. Right. And so that's like what we're doing on our YouTube. Like, I was fossil hunting with these great guys yesterday. I did a turtle survey while I was here. We went bow fishing for invasive species. Like, we've done a lot of really fun stuff. And I'm hoping that because those are the things I'm genuinely interested in, which is what I've always done is just to do the things that I really like doing that people will relate to it and enjoy it. But right. if not, like, who cares? You know, I came down to Florida for a week. I'm doing a few other projects like this. Like, mm -hmm. I'm having a great time. I think there's another element to it, too, is, like, the fact that they can interact directly with you and or support you directly, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's different when you're on a TV show and it's like, you, you know, that, that network has X amount of shows or whatever. Right. There's no direct connection to you. This right. is so much more intimate.
Yeah, you're you're like three steps removed. Whereas yeah. now I I will respond to people on YouTube. I'll be like, yeah, man, thanks for watching that. Like, what else should I do? Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, no way, this guy like talk to me. I want to see him do this, and I'm like, cool, yeah. I'll try to do it. You know, which is fun too, by the way. Like at this Animal Con thing I went to in Orlando, these guys were all talking about like how do you manage the hate and all that. And I get it too. Everybody gets it now. Which that part of it sucks, and I still maybe let it get to me more than I should. But, like, the other side of that, you know, for every one hateful comment, there's 200 positive ones. And they're fun. Like, the people are like, I love this guy. This is so cool. Like, I wish he would do this. I wish I could learn about this. And I'm like, stand by. Like, I'm trying to do it all. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It's fun. That's cool, man. I'm sure you're the same with the podcast. Like, people are kind of asking you, have this person on and do oh, this. Oh, yeah, all the time, man. Yeah. And it's all great. Isn't that fun to have that, like, input from people? Like, it's great. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And it's cool to see, like, shit evolving that way, especially with, like, the evolution of podcasts and i think it's like changing because remember like 10 years ago people would be like oh no youtube people don't want to watch something more than three minutes long they're gonna right. lose their attention span for sure the podcast is like the complete polar opposite of that hours yeah and it proves that completely wrong exactly exactly and i love it i think it's great it's so nice to sit down with a guy like you have a real conversation you know drink take a leak like whatever yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah. like let's just talk like people and i think yeah. that's what people want now they want that this is real mm-hmm, you yeah. and i are having a real conversation as buddies you know yeah, yeah. that's a real thing and it's nice to share that with people yeah well you got to catch a flight bro i gotta get back to california Fuck. <laughs> when are you gonna move to florida dude i don't know every time i come here i swear to god i'm moving here i swear it's the so weather's cool not as here. good you guys got way better weather and you guys got a beautiful fucking landscape there like the you yeah can be in the in the ocean and the snow in the same day like it's true but you guys have all the swamp critters and that is yeah. pretty fun for a guy like me yeah well, we'll get you. Hopefully, you're coming back down uh, in the near future. We'll get you back on again, dude. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Where can people find your YouTube channel? Yeah, it's just my name, Forrest Galante, on YouTube. Okay. Uh, you know, I have all the social media channels. I, I always have shows on Discovery Channel that I'm on, and a bunch of shows on other places. And anybody that checks it out, I appreciate it. But no pressure. Sweet. I'll make sure I link it below so they can find it. Thanks, buddy. All right. Good night, world. Easy. Woo.